Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Heath Ledger did for Halloween in 2008 and 2009. And 2010, uh, etc. I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Sir Patrick. And Batman. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, James Hunt. <laughs> uh, superb, James. Not quite as laboured so as Bale, but getting there. <laughs> um, so we will discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news before heading into our spoiler-filled discussion of Christopher Nolan's 2008 movie, The Dark Knight. Stein out 2018, big boys. Oh, doesn't get much bigger than this, does it? <laughs> oh, I'm excited. But before any of that, and in a slight change to our usual format, because, and I say a slight change to our usual format, a change to our format, we're three years in, listeners. We've done it the same way the whole time, and we're mixing things up. We've we discovered a new up. position. On the main episode, we're going to be mixing up the mini-sode as well. We'll let you know exactly how that's going to work at the end. But it's very exciting news. You're going to uh, spoil- want to stop skipping them from now on. Yeah, I'm not going to be <laughs> just talking to myself anymore. Very exciting. Um, and so what we thought was basically, at the start of every episode, I get Seven James to explain to me as a you know, as a movie fan, a comic book concept that I, I just don't understand. <laughs> the problem is, after three years of this podcast... I think I know everything there is to know about comic books now. I've been like, you know, I've read so many of them. I've watched all these movies. Seven James has told me so many things that I thought, well, we, we need to mix things up a, a bit at the start of the podcast. So from now on, you guys, I am a comic book expert. Having said that, tell me something I don't know about the Joker. There's three of them. I <laughs> see. I know that. No, I don't know who I don't know who they are, but I'm I aware. I don't think that anyone knows who they are yet, right? No, that hasn't that hasn't been uh, gone into. Yeah, that's quite a good idea, really, because there are so many different interpretations that, like, I kind of like that. But I mean, they haven't expanded on it, so I've got no follow up for it. <laughs> <laughs> Seb, surely you must you must have something in your back pocket that I've never encountered about the Joker because I've read what like the Killing Joke and I've. You know, I've seen the definitive version, Jared Leto in Suicide Squad. So I think I'm pretty well versed at this point. Um, I have a feeling that, uh, you know, I think we did mention this when we were talking about the, the possibility <laughs> of a Joker movie. Um, but one of my favourite things about the Joker is the fact that in the 70s, 
um, they gave him his own series. He was basically, I think, the first proper supervillain to to star in his own titled series. Um, but the thing about it was, because the comics code was still in existence at that point, um, you couldn't just have a comic called the Joker with the Joker being the Joker and being completely evil in it. Um, so basically, Batman rarely shows up in it, um, if at all, maybe. I know he's. I've read a story where he battles the Creeper in it. Um, but what I what what I find really amusing about it is basically they had to have it so that the Joker would be set against villains who were rivals to him. So you can have a comic with a villain in it, but the villain has to defeat other villains, and he had to be arrested pretty much at the end of every issue because the comics code <laughs> said that evil had to be punished. So you've got this series where basically the lead character gets arrested at the end of every issue, and it lasted for uh, nine issues before it got cancelled because they were slightly stuck under restraints it's a bit like being a fan of a republican government Um, so i i think i think i was aware of that i think that the what will always work in your benefit in this section is that i can't remember things uh but what what i would be interested to know is has the joker had any of his own series since then has it has it been something that they've returned to? Because I mean, I know there's kind of like you know there's like that Brian Azzarello one shot that you recommended me before, and obviously yeah. I think he's probably been the focus of stuff. But has he has he had his own series? I don't think there's been another series like another series just titled The Joker. Um, I could be wrong. You know, he's 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 starred in things and he's had series that would have had his name in probably. Um, but no, I think that's the only time that they've actually made him the protagonist of a series with his name on the cover, and as I say, pretty much without Batman in it. Which seems insane, right? Cause... Yeah, I mean, now they wouldn't have that restraint, but it depends whether you think the Joker works removed from the context of Batman. No, um... but I think, I'm, I'm not saying it's insane that, like, why are they not using this great idea? It just seems insane <laughs> that in 2018 that a comic book company isn't pumping out a Joker comic just because, you know, the yeah. IP's there. Given how many Batman lines there are, you know? <laughs> what, I, what I would love to see if, if they did do a Joker series is, and this is, again, this is a story I don't know if I've told you about before, but you should go and find it. Uh, maybe my favourite ever Joker story. There was a story in the Silver Age in which the Joker, fed up of the fact that Batman always defeats him because of his utility belt, invents his own utility belt and all the items in his utility belt are prank joke shop items and it is just one of the greatest comic stories ever told <laughs> it's so funny um and like the, the 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 item in the belt that is the culmination of his plan to defeat the batman is a small cork that goes uh, in a why because uh, it's filled with poisonous gas and so the joker substitutes when batman and robin are launching uh, a ship and like you're ceremonially throwing smashing a bottle against it and the joker switches out the bottles for one where the cork has poison gas in it um and the gas knocks them out and he kidnaps them but they still defeat him in the end <laughs> okay fantastic well i think i think there you know you told me some stuff i knew about the joker you told me some stuff i didn't know as well so you know uh, let's let's call this one a draw <laughs> so that's how okay <laughs> that's how our uh that's how our, our opening section is going to function from now on uh never fear listeners we are still doing the news and um 
this week, Seb, I don't know, before we actually discuss this, do we maybe want to play back a clip from a previous podcast? Um, so, Riverdale is getting a spin-off. It is going to be called Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Hey, Sabrina, the teenage witch! So, yeah. Um, I mean, and I, I, I mean, I imagine they'll cast a young actress who we, we probably haven't heard of. Mm. Um, but you're right. I think the, the things we can speculate is, uh, and guess about is like, yeah, who might, who might be? Oh man, I thought, I thought, I thought like just popped into my head though, uh, where because I thought, well, maybe they'll cast someone who, like with Cole Sprouse, who famously played a child on a previous program, and now all I can think is that someone I've suggested for things before, but it should be Kane and Shipka. I was literally as soon as you started talking, I was like, it should be Kane and Shipka, shouldn't it? Yeah, it won't be, but it that won't would be, be awesome because we're not that lucky. Uh, this is crazy. This is. We were talking about the existence of this TV show a while ago and throwing around names that we would like to see <laughs> in in the show. It turns out we're more influential than we thought. <laughs> I, I, I learned about this uh, via a message to our, our Riverdale WhatsApp group from, from Sarah Dobbs, uh, which was just a load of swearing. Uh, and initially, I didn't. You know, just got the notification for the message. I was like, "Oh, what's going on now?" Opened it up, and I and I did similar swearing. Um, <clears throat> I mean, that's just that's just phenomenal, isn't it? It's it's basically I, I, the only thing that could make me more excited for this TV show. Yeah, it, it's and, it's kind of it's kind of perfect casting. However, I do think that it is maybe the fifth or sixth role that we've gone. Wouldn't Kin and Ship could be good for that? You know? <laughs> we I think the most lot, recent one was uh, Gwen Stacy. I think we brought her up. I mean, in we, James and I have both said Gwen Stacy for a while. I think the thing is, I've said this before. Like, given our age and the kind of stuff we're into, we don't tend to know a lot about actors and actresses <laughs> of that age. Um, so, having been a fan of Mad Men, um, in which you know like at the age of like seven she was absolutely brilliant in that and then just got better and better um so you know it's natural when you kind of rack your brains to think of okay who's who's a young actor who i've seen who would be good um then she does tend to jump to mind um and also because she's a bit weird as well um you know she she's got this kind of detachedness and james you always gone about her kind of sense of comic timing and stuff Mm -hmm. and like um, you know, she she is. I don't think she's like a lot of other young actors. Well, that's the thing. Well. Like, she can do kind of threatening and like perfectly comic. Like, that's quite a rare skill in someone that young. Um, so she is um eighteen now. Um, which is insane. She's been around for so long that I just assumed she was older. Um. <laughs> But I, I think the the rest of the Riverdale cast are a few years older than that, aren't they? They're all yeah. So I want yeah. I wonder whether they're going to introduce her as maybe characters who are older than that. They are all in high school, remember? Um, yeah, you know, true. We, we've got a bit of Dawson's Creek syndrome. Well, yeah, going. well, the fact that Keanu Shipka is eighteen suggests that she's going to be playing sort of fourteen About to 15, sixteen. Fifteen, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just because I, I don't know, it's all well and good to say these these people are younger than they actually are. Um, but yeah, so oh, actually, KJ Apple's only twenty. So, and how old is the um? Uh, what's her name from Stranger Things? Because she's younger than most of the rest of the cast. Millie Bobby Brown. She? Yeah. Oh, from Stranger Things. Um, uh, uh who's Barb from Stranger Barb. Things? Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking. I thought you meant Eleven from Stranger Things. <laughs> I have no idea. But, but anyway, she she was no in idea. Riverdale playing a contemporary of theirs, and I'm sure she's a bit younger. Yeah. 
I don't know. It just made me wonder whether they would. That was the. That would be a good reason to explain. Well, it, why would, it wouldn't surprise me if they did. So like, far. it wouldn't surprise me if they did. Like Sabrina as Buffy, which is that she's in the you know the start of high school or something. Well, the other thing about this is, I mean, we've been assuming, and I'm sure it's been pitched as a direct tie-in to Riverdale. But first of all, it's not on the CW. It's on Netflix. Uh, which Which initially I didn't realise because over here, Riverdale is a Netflix show. So seeing the Netflix logo, I was like, oh, it's that. And then I realised, oh, no, hang on, in the US, Riverdale is on the CW. And Uh, that's why it makes sense, isn't it? Because they they distribute it worldwide. It makes sense that on the CW, which probably has a packed schedule, that the CW can make money just by sticking it straight up onto Netflix. Yeah. Um, But the other thing is that the comic that it's based on and and takes its title from, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, is set in the 60s. Um, And and again, Sarah asked us, do do we think this this might be set in the 60s? My initial instinct was no, because I'm pretty certain, A, that it will cross over with Riverdale, and B, that we will see her on Riverdale before we see the show. Yeah, but what if we see someone really old on Riverdale playing? (laughs) Melissa Joan Hart. Yes, exactly. No, that doesn't line up. She's not... Melissa Joan Hart isn't fifty. <laughs> what about Aunt Zelda or you know yeah. one one of those? We we can put them in there as the old version of Sabrina, and then there's like a flashback or something. Mm. I don't. Yeah, poss- possibly because I I I I would be stunned if there isn't a backdoor pilot for Sabrina in the second half of Riverdale. Do you want to hear two. my guess that it's the episode titled "The Wicked and the Divine"? <laughs> Quite. <laughs> that that is my that is my guess for this season of Riverdale. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, I, I think we're all pretty. I think we're all pretty psyched about this. I mean, yeah. Riverdale is. I, 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 it's, it's still a unique pleasure. I've, I've said <laughs> said it before. I'll say it again. I spend half my time watching the show, going, "Oh, this is the worst. This is the worst. He's the worst. She's the worst." Why am I still enjoying this? <laughs> How am I, I somehow still enjoying this? I, I would say it's the show you love, but you don't know why. I think we do know why we love it. It's just the reasons that we love it aren't the reasons you'd usually love a TV show. <laughs> um, the other things, I mean, I, James, again, sorry, you, you've read the comic? I need I need to go and read this. It seems there aren't as many issues as I thought there were. It seems to be really sporadic. No, but, there's, there, um, there are like eight or something. Yeah, but I, I gather it's Wikipedia very page right worth now. reading. Yeah, it's great. Like The thing is, it's written by <clears throat> uh, Agwe Sakasa, who... Yeah, doesn't really get time to write it because he's too busy showrunning Riverdale. So, mm. on the one hand, it's going to be really good because you know same people involved. On the other, it's not a comic that you can, you know, spend a lot of time on because it comes out once every six months. And also, it means they're probably not going to be like taking a story from the comics and adapting it directly because <laughs> no, there literally there literally isn't that much to get through so <laughs> yeah okay well i think i think we're all looking forward to uh riverdale uh, to sabrina and i guess who should we who can we kind of will into casting next like who who, 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 who should Hart. be our next <laughs> i just i just think there's someone that we could maybe repeat on a podcast Time and time again, that they should turn up in a in a superhero movie or something, and eventually it will happen. Let's get thinking on that. I'm kind of satisfied with this, to be honest. Breaking news! Oh, you're right. So we were scrabbling around for news before the podcast. Just as we finished, we're guys. 
magic of editing. We're editing this back in. Um, somehow, after uh, 10 years since she was introduced, nine eight. years, eight, eight years, Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow is getting her own movie. A standalone movie. Uh, so Variety are reporting that um, Jack Schaefer is writing the script, uh, that it's still in very early development and doesn't actually have a green light uh, as of yet. But you would imagine the fact that it's getting a script written. I mean, I think probably spoiler alert for Infinity War, she's she's making it out alive. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is, this is kind of like the first concrete confirmation we've had that Marvel are developing a Black Widow movie. It's, this is great news, right, you guys? Yes, I can categorically state any film that stars Scarlett Johansson is great news. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so Jack Schaefer, I, I don't know an, an awful lot about her. Apparently, um, she is a writer and producer. She uh, she actually wrote the short Olaf's Frozen Adventure that was uh, in front of <laughs> Coco in America, which I know wasn't very well received. Yeah, I, I want to defend uh, that because I that moved me almost to tears. Oh, I'm not right, okay. Um, she also has written um, Nasty Women, which is a movie coming out in August this year, which is a loose remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels starring Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson. Apparently so, she's, al- she's also been on the blacklist, but I don't know what script. Right, okay. Um, I mean, you put 20 minutes of anything it- in front of a new Pixar film, people are going to get pissed off, so... Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah... Uh, what great news that that's happening. Yes. Uh, it uh, You know, uh, uh, if it proves to be the case. But, you know, I think Marvel would be crazy not to be doing this now. You know, there's if there's, if there's any time to start developing this movie, it's now. And hopefully that means that Phase 4, whatever shape Phase 4 does actually take, that this is one of the early ones in that development. I mean, this is quite important in that it's the first new Marvel film to be confirmed or to be spoken about as in development for a long time. Yeah, so I think we we kind of loosely know about a couple of sequels, don't we? Like Guardians of the Galaxy 3, I think Ant-Man and mm-hmm. Wasp uh, 3 has been talked about. As I think um, Michael Peña recently talked about as that probably happening, which, you know, not really surprising. You know, I think we're, yeah, Doctor Strange 2 we're all expecting to happen as well. Um, but, you know, Marvel are keeping their... Uh, like Jim Gordon, they're keeping <laughs> things very close to the chest no it's vest jim um <laughs> so so yeah we don't really know what's happening with face war but hey what exciting breaking news should we go should we go back to our regular programming yes let's yeah okay <laughs> okay i will move on to our second piece of news now um which is about uh dc um so we were talking just before christmas about how dc was uh, headed for a major shake-up after the uh, box office disappointment of Justice League. Um, so the DC studio was previously run um, by a guy called John Berg alongside Jeff Johns. And we thought we knew that John Berg had been, um, had been fired or moved out of that role into somewhere else in the company. And it looked like Jeff Johns was similarly going to have his involvement uh severely dialed back um it doesn't look like that is the case now jeff johns is still involved um but berg's replacement is a guy called walter hamada um and so what it seems like we've got here is very much a comic book guy in the form of jeff johns who will still be kind of feeding in on on those aspects of things um 
whereas Walter Hamada is a kind of movie exec who has had some pretty incredible success with Warner Brothers over the past five or ten years working on their horror movies. So he works, and this is why I think it's interesting, he works alongside James Wan on the Conjuring franchise, and now that the Conjuring has had successful sequels and successful spin-offs and sequels to spin-offs, that's doing really well. Um, he was the producer, uh, the exec producer on Lights Out. Uh, very notably, last year was the executive producer on It, which is, if if not the biggest, one of the biggest horror movie successes of all time. Um, and he's the guy that they've chosen to bring in. So it sounds like, guys, someone who's had success making money for DC in a different area, and they're saying can you come in and try and do the same thing on superheroes? You've never worked on a superhero movie before. Doesn't matter. Here's Jeff Johns. And apparently he's been working, they've been working together on Shazam already. Um, oh, another movie that doesn't exist. <laughs> it does. It does. They've, they've said they would, uh, I've I mean, already if- forgot. Zachary Levi has already said that he would love it. <laughs> if uh, wonder woman made a cameo. <laughs> I'm sure which, he would. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if if he's been working on Shazam, it does make it a lot more likely that that movie will actually happen, doesn't it? Yes, that movie is happening. I'm 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 convinced that movie's happening. Yeah. Um, and you know he's worked closely with James Wan quite a lot in the past. Which does that maybe point towards DC maybe having a bit of confidence in in the direction that Aquaman has taken. Or does it just point towards James Wan has had success with all these other films? It almost doesn't matter if Aquaman doesn't hit. It's not his fault. Probably that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe what it does point towards then with Aquaman is that if Aquaman is a success, James Wan's not someone that they're going to move on from, from a sequel. Expect him to be heavily involved. And, you know, maybe James Wan could become the new Zack Snyder for the DCU. Which uh, I don't think would be a You've got to have a dream, thing. haven't you? <laughs> does this make you any more confident about the future of the DCU or do, or is it literally going to be it doesn't matter who's involved we need to we need to see what movies you're announcing how you're how you're dealing with Ben Affleck and yeah basically yeah like you know shuffling the chairs doesn't really make a difference until you're actually putting out product yeah. that is good and as soon as that happens no one will be happier than me they still put out Possibly one said product. we'll be happier. They put out one product that was very good. Yeah, yeah. sure. We can't ignore that. It did sure, happen. And if they want to give Patty Jenkins more to do in the DC universe, that would be great. We we say this a lot, and, and I don't think people always believe us, but with the DC stuff now, we just you can't judge it on anything but the movies themselves. Um, that same is, with Marvel, though, to be well, fair. Yeah, same with, same totally. with all of this. Yeah. That that is what it's all about. There, there is no. But that's the point. Like Marvel, this. It's Marvel just... did that thing of like they had a creative committee of comic book creators that people were saying like, oh, these guys are the reason that the movies are good, and they disbanded that committee, and the movies are still good. And if anything, you've got people like James Gunn saying, yeah, now we haven't got those idiots telling us we're doing stuff wrong. So it turns out they might have been making the movies worse. Imagine how good Avengers could have been. Without <laughs> but yeah, so, so if you you know, so what are you saying? Get well, rid, what I'm saying get is, get rid of, um, get rid of uh, Jeff Johns immediately. <laughs> well, I mean, there are not there are arguments for that, certainly. But <laughs> all I'm saying is, like, 
ultimately the personalities behind the movies don't matter so much as the movies themselves and anything that creates some kind of course correction for dc is obviously going to be a good thing we just i mean it will be hard not to be a course correction but also we don't know that it's a course correction like Mm. for all we know john berg was taking the fall for decisions higher up oh probably but i mean you know this is a point where up and up until now john berg was one of the two guys kind of running things on on that level and from a kind of like on the ground creative level Zack snyder was the overriding driver of you know of that stuff you know he was he was also you know he was doing cameos in wonder woman because he was down on the ground there shooting some stuff for his movie and (laughs) he's his fingerprints has been have been all over everything so what comes next can't help but be some kind of fresh start um yeah and you know uh, i think we've we've at least with justice league moved from very very terrible to very very bland yeah um i I mean (laughs) I, i think the main thing that he could do that would really inspire confidence in dc's movies is state categorically that they are never going to make another movie with jared leto's joker in it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that would make us all very very happy hey is that a good pivot point (laughs) it could be could be it might have been deliberate it was only mildly deliberate okay uh listeners we're about to get serious uh, take a listen <laughs> to the trailer for The Dark Knight and we'll be back with our spoiler-filled discussion of the movie straight afterwards. You've changed things. Forever. There's no going back. See to them. You're just a freak. Like me. (laughs) What do we got? Nothing. No name, no other alias. Clothing is custom. Nothing in his pockets but knives and lint. Evening. Why so serious? Where is he? People are dying. What would you have me do? Endure. You can be the outcast. You can make the choice that no one else will face. The right choice. Gotham needs you. A little fight in you. I like that. Then you're gonna love me. Now that's more like it, Miss Wayne. <laughs> it's all part of the plan. Hit me! Let's put a smile on that face. Okay, so guys, it's been a long time since we talked about Batman Begins. 
Um, but weirdly, I don't think it matters that much because the Dark Knight almost stands alone. It feels it, yeah. <laughs> it feels less like a sequel to Batman Begins, which is a movie that's so interested in how does every aspect of Batman work? How does this work? What's the origin of that? How does that work? Why is the city set up in this way? Why is why is uh you know yeah, kind of like what what drives Batman's psychology in that way or another? Whereas this film is I mean, and we see it from the opening scene, and it's really boring because everyone talks about it, but you know, you can't not in relation to this movie. This is Chris Nolan going, What if I did Michael Mann's Heat but in Gotham City <laughs> in a superhero story? And it feels from very early on that this is not a Batman story with other stuff, you know, mm. where like where there is other stuff going on. And I don't even think, which I'm sure some people would argue, that it feels like a Joker story where Batman's in the background. I no, think it's... it does it does feel like a sprawling crime story where there are three protagonists and one antagonist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we and we watch the arcs of all of them. And if anything, Batman is the one of those who gets the least attention. Oh, yeah, he, he totally <laughs> is. But it's yeah, it's this is the thing. It packs so much in in terms of those you know those characters and the and the strands of the story it's not that it's like an especially complex story it's just that there is a lot going on in terms of the characters um if even though it is it's it's a sequel it's the middle part of a trilogy although not necessarily intended as such when it was made um you know they would have expected to go and do another one but i don't I, you know the dark knight series was not conceived as a trilogy hence the fact that they start out being called batman and then switch to being called the dark knight um but it, despite the fact that it's part of a series and despite the fact that there are certain elements of it, and when I say certain elements, I pretty much only mean Rachel Dawes um, <laughs> that pick up from the first film. Um, uh, despite that, it, it is so self-contained and it is mm. so satisfyingly self-contained. It doesn't feel like it needs either of the films either side of it and i do say <laughs> that's quite who liked, good well I, I like dark knight rises let's not get into that now um <laughs> but in its own right this film it's it stands alone it stands alone in so many ways it stands alone as a film it stands alone in the genre because there is nothing else like it yeah. in superhero movies and I, I really think i mean there's all kinds of ways that it's important that we'll get into but can you make a case that this is the film that showed that superhero is not, even though I just said genre, superhero is not a genre. The way that we, you know, we, we talked about that before when we talk about things like Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy. Bearing in mind that this film came out the same year as Iron Man, which, you know, yeah. kicked off the Marvel Universe that's taken that trend and run with it. But let's face it, Iron Man is a pretty bloody straight superhero movie. Um, the Dark Knight basically says. Movies that have superheroes out of comic books don't have to fit a genre template that is superhero movie that's been established ever since the first Superman film. I would I would agree with that, but then so much more because the shadow culturally that this film cast mm. for so many years, uh, you know, the, I think the fan culture that it spawned. Um, I, 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 I'm not sure that we had quite the. I don't think we'd have like you know the DC Bros online now if we didn't have these movies and that's not any fault of this movie it's just it was it was just one of the side effects but like even if you look at the the impacts it had on the oscars you know 10 years later we we still have 
you know, ten nominees instead of five in Best Picture because of The Dark Knight, because <laughs> it was such an outrage at the time that The Dark Knight wasn't nominated. And I and you would go and like, oh, it, you know, was it such an outrage? And you kind of look at some of the other films that were nominated that year and you go, yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> I think it really was. Um, Give us some of the other I, names, just because if I was listening to this podcast, I would be like, what were the other names? <laughs> okay, so this is from memory, but I'm pretty sure it's the Frost, Nixon, Milk, The Reader Year. Okay. Because I think it was the year after There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men, which was kind of like one of the all-time Oscar yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you've got, I think, I'm pretty sure this year was like, it might have been the Slumdog year. Okay. The year that Slumdog won. Uh, I, I, it, was, it was the Slumdog year. Uh, yeah, best, best picture. Benj- Benjamin Button. <laughs> so the films that were made to win Oscars won the Oscars. Yeah. Milk, yeah, The Reader. Uh but hey, Vicky, Christina, Barcelona, and Wally were in there. I tell you what, I mean, I know obviously we're biased because of the kind of films we cover, but I think people talk about The Dark Knight a lot more these days than they talk about Slumdog Millionaire, don't they? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> it's a, I mean, it's a good film. It's no denying that, but it has not really had a lasting impact over the last ten years, has it? Uh, no, well, I mean. There are there aren't many films I think that you can compare that that cast the cultural shadow that this film did, yeah. and it and it is somewhat lightning in a bottle, but it's also Christopher Nolan who I think is a, a fascinating director who I, I've kind of in the last year or so kind of revisited a couple of his films because I I mean I I went to see Dunkirk twice in the cinemas I saw it um, on kind of a normal screen and then was like oh, I now have to seek that out in IMAX. And, and literally on my birthday last year, travelled to Manchester so I could see it on the IMAX big screen because I just think it's a phenomenal film. Uh, I re- revisited Interstellar and that was a movie that left me completely cold the first time and destroyed me on a rewatch. Um, I've got a lot of respect for Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker. I think he has his quirks and I think he... Um, I think he and this film particularly has some... I think fairly obvious flaws. I think there are some big old logic holes in a couple of like key se- sequences in the middle of this movie. Um, and the last 10% of the movie just boggles my mind. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. But it's, by and large, I mean, you watch this film Justice and you, it's... you know, when we said we got to the end of justice league and it was like, where's the rest of it? This film is like, Oh, that, Oh, is, is that, is that going to be the end then? Oh no! Wait, is that going to be the end then? Oh no! Wait, is that going to be the end then? <laughs> yeah, I and and I and I I could have done with none of them being the end. I think. <laughs> I mean, um. <laughs> I'm not a huge Christopher Nolan fan in general. In that, I think every other one of his films, I pretty much loathe. <laughs> I think the thing that really sets this one apart is that it's the only one that I find actually funny, and like it's not just Heath Ledger's like dark humor, like Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne actually gets some humor in there. And like, it's a common criticism of, of Christopher Nolan is that everything is very serious and grim and there's mm. no levity. And this is mm. the only film I think where you can actively say that is not the case. I think yeah. Uh, I, Gordon gets a decent amount as well. Mm-hmm. And Eckhart in the, in the first half, I mean, Eckhart gets, gets yeah, uh, and Morgan Freeman, like that everyone gets, you know, a yeah. reason to make you smile. I think I think in the first hour of this movie, literally everyone in the in the like um, primary cast of this movie gets a moment where they could almost afterwards turn and wink to the camera and go, "Did you see that?" Mm-hmm. 
See what I did there? Because, yeah. <laughs> there, and it's... We said this for the first film. It's a real good cast. It's kind of only got better <laughs> in yeah, this because second Because Holmes, isn't it? <laughs> well... We'll we'll talk we'll talk about um, Rachel as we go as we go through the discussion. Um, but yeah, I think it's certainly an improvement in in terms of the caliber of actor that you've got in that role. It's it's I think it's also an, an improvement into, and this is something that surprised me going back to it. Is I have always thought that Bale is pretty much the weak link in these films. Uh, it's not that he's bad; it's just that uh, you know it's really hard to do a definitive take on Batman, and and he doesn't manage it. And I think this is a film that, with the exception of like maybe one sequence, would be absolutely fine if it never had Batman in costume in it. Um, but I do think, and this is uh, this is what struck me going back to it. I really liked Bale as Bruce Wayne. Uh, I love more Bale so, as Bruce more Wayne so than movie. I think I thought before. Um, and I think we probably said similar with Batman Begins that it, you know, it is. I mean, for most of that film, he is just Bruce Wayne, and it is, it is, he is better when he's being Bruce Wayne. More and more, as much as I do like the Michael Keaton version, I do think Christian Bale is a really great Bruce Wayne, albeit a very different one. Um, but he's not a great Batman, and it's not just <laughs> him. It's it's almost everything about how they do Batman in this film doesn't work from like the costume to the way he is with people but none of that matters anyway because it's such a good film that it actually survives the fact that it's a batman film without a very good batman in it <laughs> yeah I, I it was jarring to me watching this post ben affleck and going look how skinny batman is look at him i mean it's a better costume than the batman begins one because the batman begins yeah. one is awful but well, and the, which you get, mask, you get in that opening yeah. sequence. They explicitly yeah. say, like, you want to be able to turn your head, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Yes. But still, even though they give him a cowl where he can turn his head, the mask around his mouth, any scene and his eyes, has him, and, his and his eyes, eyes yeah, any scene that has him talking to somebody, not just because of the voice, but I'm sure we'll get into that as well, <laughs> is just oh, it's yeah. for me, it's that scene where he's in in the like fundraising party and he sneaks off to change into costume. Yeah. And when he comes out, he's like, you know, makeup around his eyes. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, I mean, but if you have to do that, it just, it takes me out of the moment because it's so mm. obvious. Notably, what Nolan does as this, as this trilogy continues is take Batman more and more out of the shadows and more and more into the light. And mm. I think it works on a, on a, on a metaphorical level. It works, you know, on, on that kind of, on that kind of level, but it doesn't work from just visually this having is... to see Batman. To the point where in the third film, he's having a fight on Wall Street in, in broad daylight. You're like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> the weird thing that struck me this time is uh, the, in this whole series of films, almost all of the best scenes featuring Batman, and I'm not sure this is true of any other of the Batman films, are when he's driving <laughs> like all the good oh. stuff that Batman does in these films is driving the Batmobile and the like D- any scene with Batmobile, or any scene with the Batpod, I think are great. Well, Every the time the, the Batmobile <laughs> turns up, I'm like, oh yeah, it's Batman in his tank. No, but but <laughs> it is. But also, he actually does stuff. Whereas, like in the rest of the film, he's such a passive observer to pretty much everything that happens, apart from when he goes and you know breaks international law and, and kidnaps <laughs> somebody. That's but even then, he's, he's you know he's using still using transport technology. But yeah, it's like the, you know this is kind of um, it's it's people you know 
Batman with the gadgets is is a big thing, and in in, in something like the Tim Burton films, okay, it does have the Batmobile on the Batwing, but it's as much about the utility belt. Yeah, kind of it doesn't. I guess it doesn't Whereas have the this cool is like Batman stealth. with his vehicles. Yeah, it doesn't have like the cool stealth like Batman sort of Arkham chain fight that say Ben Affleck's had. Like, he doesn't do anything that is cool when he's just Batman. He just sort of punches yeah. people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I also think that might be... I think it's a, a mark of Chris Nolan's action direction throughout this trilogy in that his action is always the strongest when it's kind of those big action sequences where there's a chase or where there's something else going on. Batman hand-to-hand combat is... Mm. It's almost always not as visually interesting as what he's doing elsewhere. Um, and I don't know whether that's just whether it's something that Nolan's not as interested in or whether it's something that he's not uh, just not as strong with. Um, but I don't think it matters too much because the scenes where the scenes where you are kind of getting that big car chase, you know, or whatever that just, you know, that that does the job of six action sequences because it's just so mm. fucking good. And we should point out, because I think listeners probably, especially you heard James talk about Batman Begins, probably would have been worried, <laughs> worried that we were going to shit all over the Dark Knight. It's not, it's, it's so close to being a masterpiece. And there are, you know, we've barely talked about him yet. Heath Ledger delivers the greatest comic book villain performance for my money that we've ever seen. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> and it's, it's just so much and so good and I love it and I would say that even watching this film the problems I have with this film are almost all in the last 10 or 15 minutes so I can just have a hoot watching this film and then kind of get to the end and then raise my eyebrows you know I I also just I, I do think as I say it's like most of the problems are just aren't problems that affect it too negatively. I don't mind no. that, yeah. that Batman's not great, and there's a lot of other maybe sort of slightly surface criticisms you could make of it. But I just don't care because I mean, yeah, it is driven by Ledger being fantastic, but also you know it's a it's a great telling of the Harvey Dent story and 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 really getting into that character in a way that. You know, the comics have often had this undercurrent of, um, you know, Harvey Dent was a good guy beforehand. You know, the the whole idea that actually he was arguably a better hope for Gotham than either Jim Gordon or Batman. That's kind of been there, but not in as much detail as it is here. And never in a way that you believe it as much. I think because you only ever see Harvey Dent with the knowledge that he has become Two-Face already. So you know him as the villain. And, you know, sometimes... This film plays with that so well said. Well, the idea that we know that that that, that Harvey Dent will become Two Face, but I don't mm. think anyone coming into this film expects him to become Two Face when yeah, he does. Those, those of us who were fans had had certain elements spoiled, and I, I did know going in that by the end he would become Two Face. Also, there's a shot in the trailer that pretty much gives away that he's going to become Two Face, which because the trailer shows him with his face in the petrol. Um, but yeah, it, it it it. I think the I think ninety odd percent of people would not 
know. I mean, even if you took the people who know that Harvey Dent is Two-Face, your assumption at best might be at the very, very end of the film, he becomes Two-Face setting up the next one. Your yeah. your assumption would not be that his entire story takes place in this film. I also really like, while you're talking about playing with, with expectations, very early on, you have the scene in the courtroom um, and again, if, yes. you, if you know your law, you know that the way that it happens in the comics is he's putting somebody on trial and the guy reaches in his pocket and takes a glass of acid and, and a bottle of acid and throws it at him. And when he reaches for what turns out to be a gun, you think that's going to happen there and then. Uh, but it's just a gun and he takes it off him is is great. I mean, that whole scene's terrific. Yeah. But I, uh, I love this movie, you guys. I really love this yeah, movie. It's, it's, it was such a delight to go back I know, and you know, We did kind of go up front there with, a, with some of the, the criticisms of it. But that's not to say that it's not one of the just the absolute shining examples. Of, yeah, of this I'm gonna film. I'm gonna lay my <laughs> reputation on the line here and go out on limb and say good movie. It's a good movie. <laughs> you are I taking mean, a the, punt there. There is the one thing about it where you go like, if you're gonna change anything, it would not be two and a half hours long. Yeah, it'd be four hours long. <laughs> and and the Dark Knight Rises would not exist instead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it, I, I in watching this I enjoyed myself, but I also think that whole sort of 20 minute China sequence isn't really doing anything that needs to be in the film. Like, uh, it feels to me like that is in there because they wanted to sell it in China. Like let's let's go through let's let's go through the movie now chronologically and let's get to these arguments as we go along because (laughs) there's lots of things we never will (laughs) yeah there's lots of things already that i've been like oh i want to talk about that but i think we i think we should go through it chronologically so first scene you guys there's some mobsters they're in clown masks and it's great because they're talking in clown masks and you can't see their face moving they're all talking like villains either out of batman the animated series or the (laughs) alchemy asylum games so it's always like Hey, you heard of this guy, the, the, the Joker? <laughs> this Joker <Right>. guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they, oh, they told me to kill the bus driver. It's great. It's got, it's got that elevated Batman you know vibe. It, you know what it but also, it's of, more than anything. down and dirty crime movie. That first Spider-Man teaser trailer with the bank robbery. It mm. really reminds me of that. It's your, <laughs> yeah. it's your classic comic book cheesy bank robbery also one of my favorite characters in the film is the guy who james played in our post credits tease at the end of of our last regular episode was uh, it what, did we do the did we do the fickner line yeah <laughs> so fickner who was in heat which is is the connection there but also if you had to hire one guy who was in charge of the mob bank for the Gotham City mob <laughs> you get william fickner it's great it's so good and uh, I, I I love the He's whole vibe like of that. An, if you can't get Christopher Walken, <laughs> yeah. you get you get William Fickner. <laughs> I mean, and I, what what I like in this opening sequence is that it is it's exhilarating from a bank bank house point of view. You also know that one of these guys is the Joker, and you just you just you're on the edge of your seat waiting for how it's not quite your average bank robbery and it's what how it's not quite your average bank robbery is because he's taking each of them out one at a time um i mean i do want to say uh, the first time i saw this i did i wasn't like oh that one of those is the joker i thought they were all the henchmen because that's mm. the convention yeah, but, is that yeah, but they're all clowns and but i was expecting gonna... him to turn up and yes. when he takes the mask off and I, I was like oh nice like that was a good little twist for me 
but like he's the one he's the one the whole way through who's not really talking i think he has one one small line a little bit earlier in the scene oh yeah it's, yeah. A, just... it's a little bit like later in the movie where you've got the two swat the two swat team guys one of them's talking and one of them's not and it's like <laughs> in retrospect you're like hmm interesting that that second swat guy is not talking too much <laughs> no see i i i didn't get that at all with that but well we'll get to that scene yeah but, yeah i like the anyway. way that yeah, so the the bank heist specifically, I I think it's interesting that vi- I think visually it sets a complete you know, a completely different palette to the Batman Begins because it's set at day and because it's set in a bank and because you guys were now te- we're now filming in Chicago <laughs> where Joe was on holiday over Christmas and. He recognised all of the buildings, and it was cool. <laughs> like it's weird, actually. One of the criticisms that I've spoken to Mike Leader about before is that Gotham in the Nolan movies doesn't feel coherent from movie to movie. Nope. Like he no, builds these, yeah. yeah, he builds these versions of Gotham that work for that individual film. Well, this is the thing because yeah, in, individually them. they they do each have a strong sense of themselves. Mm-hmm. It's just um, infuriating when you're but, watching the yeah, trilogy. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I, I really like, you know, the the fact that it's got the the the, the under road roads for the uh, for the chase sequence <laughs> absolutely works. In the first film, the fact that you've got the island area that's the narrows absolutely works. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Dark Knight Rises, um, the kind of, I mean, it's where, where do they shoot Dark Knight Rises? Is that New York? Yeah, they use the Pittsburgh Stadium for the football scene, yeah. I think. Uh, um and you know, it kind of works with the kind of the Wall Streety sort of feel to it. Um but yeah. God, they... that, that that Occupy movement that's so resonant five years on. <laughs> <that we> all... <laughs> um God, well yeah, at least at least you know, they didn't make a whole comic about it. That was that was Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> I think this um, is this is my favourite I think version of gotham mm. i think yeah i think this is the one that holds up the strongest as if i was picturing a movie version of gotham and it wasn't designed by anton first then um it, it would be this one yeah and so that so that first scene i think there's a little that action sequence uh the way it ends i think there's a there's a little bit of what there is to a lot of the action sequences here in that we, we are looking at the joker as this he is an agent of chaos, and we'll see that later in the movie, but he's also, he is a criminal mastermind. Like, the way he plans these things out in advance is meticulous, and it's one of those th- it's one of those things that works, I think, really well for the character, because it's a character who has to cut, co- all of his actions have to be constantly in conflict with each other, because he is an agent of chaos. And it must be a dream for a writer, by the way, that just, I can write this guy inconsistent <laughs> from scene to scene, and the actor will just do something amazing with it. Great. Um... But I think a lot a lot of these big scenes where the Joker has a plan or, say, Jim Gordon has a plan to pretend he's dead when he's not, it doesn't really make sense when you think a lot about it. Like, the, the fact that the Joker times it perfectly, that none of the other goons take him out before he takes them out. And he's able the to fact, get the bus out exactly at the right yeah, moment. Yeah, so. no one, that no one notices a bus crashing <laughs> Drug, through the yeah. side of a bank. And then leaving. <laughs> but it's another one of those, like I said with the Avengers, with putting the scepter into the... Into the what thingamajig to close the gap when you're watching the film you buy it because you buy that that character has kind of worked it out that perfectly and it's fine i think the only one that i don't buy really and never have is the jim gordon bit but 
all of the uh, so that's what I'm talking about. There are kind of logic gaps and little plot holes in in terms of some of the plans that the Joker has throughout the movie. But I buy it because there is something ethereal about the Joker. I mean, is there is there ever and this is jumping up? Is there a reason given for why Jim Gordon has to a no. pretend to be dead? And I mean, the sort of the reason for pretending to be dead is. To protect his family. I was going to say that's the, the reason Joker they give. Give the impression of being someone who would go after his family, and also why does he have to be secretly in the SWAT van? I mean, it's it all well, just no, and, giving and, you and, that. And, how, to, and how did he plan it? How did he know that he would have the opportunity to jump in front of Batman? Well, how <laughs> did he know that he was gonna that he would take bullets, but it wouldn't kill him? How did he know in, that in, he, in the, in the, the words the of person... Jack Daniels in Dumb and Dumber? What if they shot him in the head? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what if the person who had checked his pulse? had actually realised that he was alive and went, oh, yeah. no, he's alive. <laughs> what? It, uh, there's so many what-ifs in that entire sequence. But my biggest question is, what does it add to the movie? And nothing, really. I don't think... I don't think pre- pretending that Gordon's dead for that stretch really adds anything. If anything, by the time that big bravura action sequence is finished, I've stopped caring that Jim Gordon's dead. <laughs> yeah, you've Gordon's forgotten dead because, that he's supposed to be dead anyway. Yeah, mm. I've got more important things to worry about. The Joker's just... <laughs> Flipped upside down in a lorry, for God's sake. So, yeah, small plot holes. Uh, James, you can talk about the kick-ass guy now and the dressing up as Batman. Yeah, um, so, yeah, we talked about how it didn't necessarily continue on from Batman Begins, but the whole sort of theme of Batman Begins is, like, he has to become a symbol. And yeah. basically all he of has... the Dark Knight up to the conclusion is about the consequences of becoming a symbol of hope. I there's also something else relevant about this scene just very quickly which is that i think it's the only time that you get a, a batman villain played as a very straight and comic booky version oh. it's like after everything that the scarecrow did in the first film here he's just <laughs> he's just being the scarecrow he's just... i love it though i love it it's such... i know i love I mean, that I... though because it's yeah, like no, i love it's great it's, that's the but, sort of thing yeah. we're normally denied in superhero films like <laughs> exactly. recurring villains doing their villainous plots like it has to be you know, they have to do a grand personal scheme and they have to die at the end. Whereas this mm. is just like, oh, it's that guy, he's back again. Batman beats the <laughs> shit out of him and it's done. Yeah. I think like, my favourite part operates. of the Dark Knight Rises is the Scarecrow cameo. They're just the, <laughs> the kind of crazy lording over the kangaroo court is 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 brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, here, what I like is that A, he's still alive, that we haven't killed off that villain from the start. And that B... What is the scarecrow without the funding of criminal mastermind Ra's al Ghul? Yeah. He's an idiot in a mask. Yeah. That's, that's I mean, it. I, I, he's, I, a low, he's a low-level criminal in a mask. The first time I saw the film, I think I assumed that it was someone else pretending to be the scarecrow because he's so lame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when he takes the mask off, and it's like, oh, that is actually Killian Murphy. He's actually the real scarecrow. He's just gone a bit shit because. And then just, and then yeah. he gets to do the meta narrative for the rest of the scene, like. Yeah. Oh, these don't say, oh no, that no, that's more like it. Um, th- this is our introduction to the new, even more ridiculous Bruce Wayne doing uh, Christian Bale Batman voice, mm. which has just <laughs> taken a cocky badge. Oh, the worst line! The worst line. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you question is it that that scene. Or hockey pants. Well, I think it's pads because I don't yeah. think there's such a thing as pants. But it does but sound it's... like pants. <laughs> but it's it's not particularly funny. Um, like, it, 
I, I mean, Bruce Wayne doesn't it, have much of a sense of humor, to be fair. No, but it made me question, like, when I was starting to rewatch, I was like, oh, is this movie bad? <laughs> is it like, because, like, we've, Batman's walked in straight away and given this really crap line. I don't think it's, I don't think it's the best sequence in the movie. Um, I, it's there to serve a function with the people dressing up as Batman because that'll become a point later on. Yeah. And also, I think, I think you're right, James. I think it is important to say, it, it does it very quickly in kind of storytelling terms. Batman has eliminated a lot of the crime in Gotham. Not all of it, but a lot of it. And certainly the low-level criminals are almost too scared to operate. And if they do operate, they're going to get taken out pretty fast. <laughs> um, that's all good. Batman has become a symbol. People of The people of Gotham ha- are trying to fight back against crime because of Batman. That's all good. It's good storytelling. It's just a little bit shaky in the execution in that individual scene, I think. I do want to quickly interject. Hockey pants are knee-to-waist protective gear for ice hockey or roller hockey players. Yeah, so maybe it is. I still think it's pads. I think it, <laughs> I think it is pads, but yeah. IMDb will tell us it is pads. <laughs> I'm not wearing hockey pads. Swear to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't do that, otherwise Wait. I won't be able to talk for the rest of the podcast. We haven't got as far as the worst bit, which is the bit when he does it while he has a cold. He's got a blocked up nose. <laughs> I could be the same but to be. <laughs> wow <laughs> you took it to a whole new level there Seb okay so we've, so we've met our antagonist we've met one of our protagonists but then we're going to do our long Halloween bit and we're going to meet Harvey Dent and uh, and be reintroduced to Jim Gordon um, and they kind of they, they, they meet, do they meet straight away at this point and have the little chat and go here's, here's what we're going to do here's how we're going to take out the different types of criminals because so they we, know we, that we we first meet don't we first meet Dan in the courtroom and then uh he is in is introduced to Jim Gordon well not introduced because they know each other but yeah yes yeah oh yeah it's it's um Maggie Gyllenhaal's Rachel Jaws oh Jim Gordon he's a friend he, actually yeah, yeah yeah so here's here's my take on Maggie Gyllenhaal who is an actress I love um I don't think the movie gives her a great lot to play with uh, because of the way they function, the, the, the function she ultimately serves in the story. Um, I think she's a much better actress than Katie Holmes, but I, I'm not sure she actually works better as part of the story than Katie Holmes does. You know, like, I I believe that she's a DA more than I would believe that Katie Holmes is a DA, for example. But I don't know. There's just some, there's something about this performance that... And from the from the time she was announced, I remember when looking forward to this movie and going, "Oh, Maggie Gyllenhaal is an actress that I really like. I'm really looking forward to seeing her in The Dark Knight because why would you not want to replace Katie Holmes with Maggie Gyllenhaal?" It just I, I've never really I've never really bought this character. I mean, that's her. kind of the problem, isn't it? That the character isn't really there. Like she has this kind of she like the person she reminded me of most in this movie was Kirsten Dunst. Because, like, she has that kind of girl-next-door approachability. So, she, so you're saying she's great? So. <laughs> wow. Make of that what you will. But, like, it doesn't feel like she's, uh, you know, Bruce Wayne's love interest or even friend. Like, they, I don't feel like they really nail that sort of intimacy and chemistry. And I kind of, 
I think it's mostly the fault of Christine Bale. Because <laughs> like, I, I just oh, really? don't think they have any rapport. Because like, her performance is great with everyone. And like even when she's playing around with Harvey Dent or whatever, like, you kind of buy that. But mm. as soon as she's on screen with Christine Bale, it, go, it all goes limp. Yeah, I mean, I I can't disagree with that, really. Um, I'm not sure it's Bale's fault. It, it, you know, it can be just that they did I mean, I don't think he had a huge amount of ke- chemistry with Katie Holmes, either. Um, no, but then Katie Holmes didn't have chemistry with anyone else. It was it's just like, what, for whatever reason, that is the weak link and you need it to be the strong link. I think she, I, I do think she's good in a couple of scenes. Um, I think she's, I think her last scene, I think she's fantastic. Um, but yeah, I just, just overall, it, it, it never really, it never really hit, hit for me the way that I thought it would. Um, <laughs> and the flip, I mean, she the, gets fridged as well, which is not great. Mm. I mean, yeah, it, so it, it is a fridging. It is a fridging, right? And, and, <sighs> Because I, I write down, is it a fridging? And I was going in my head, well, I, is it a fr-? And yeah, it has to be. The re- the only reason I'm asking whether it's not is because I, I want to have more yeah. faith in Chris, <laughs> in Chris Nolan and, and, and this movie. It is a fridging. It serves as a motivator for pretty much all of the other male characters in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this is a, this is a Chris Nolan problem. You know, there is a lot of dead wives in Christopher Nolan movies. Um, and a lot of women it's, standing around doing very little as well. Yeah, he's he's not fantastic with female characters. Um, I, th- I think he probably does his best job in The Dark Knight Rises, probably. Uh, some exceptions. <laughs> we all we all know who I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a Chris Nolan blind spot, and I, I don't want to gloss over it and say, well, you know, it's a blind spot, so it's fine. It's not fine, um, but we, I'm not I sure. Mean, you kind it of ultimately, have to take it I'm not sure it ultimately harms the movies trying to make. It's just a shame that that has to be a function of the movie that he's making. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's weird, isn't it? Because like, you don't want to say you're not allowed to make a movie where a woman dies to motivate someone. Cause like that is essentially saying you can't make a movie where a character dies. Yeah. The problem is that it's a pattern for Chris, for Christopher Nolan. Well, and, and the, the, the movie doesn't have, a, have any other female characters. Yeah. And like, there's no alternative to it. Yeah. And like, and it would have been nice if he'd used this opportunity to take a character that has like, let's not forget a large female fan base as much as a male one and do something, you know, to reach out to that side Instead of being like, well, you're the girl, so you're the damsels, and sometimes you die. And this I mean, was the character that he'd introduced, you know? Yeah. She wasn't She wasn't from the comics. She wasn't, she didn't have any, like, preordained Gwen Stacy fate. Mm-hmm. She, she, could, she could be whatever he wanted her to be. I do, I do think that, um, you know, I, I can completely see the, the narrative and, and filmmaking reasons for doing it. Because it's a shock, it's a really big shock, you know. And it's you know, it's a classic thing of you've got this situation where two of oh, your the main execution is fantastic. Yeah, the execution yeah, a, of it is a fantastically wonderful. tense scene, and you kind of at this point, as I say, you know, if you if you really think about Harvey Dent, you suspect that something will happen to him. 
But I, I certainly, I, I was, I mean, again, probably partly because she's an original character to the film, so you don't have the thing of, oh, she's Gwen Stacy, so she's going to die at the end. Um, I was really shocked, and I, and I did kind of think, oh, is there going to be some way in which she's not dead? Because that's what this genre tends to do. Um, so I can totally see why they thought that, and I don't think there's an, with a possible exception of Jim Gordon, but you do kind of need him around for the second half. Um, I don't think there's another character that you could do that with. I think I think where it becomes a fridging is that it's not about her. Mm-hmm. And she hasn't had enough in the first half of the film. I mean, it's ironic because she gets that line to Bruce where she says, you know, don't, don't make me your only way out. And then that's exactly what she is. Mm-hmm. And she's the reason why Harvey Dent completely goes over this. Like, if Harvey Dent just got injured in that explosion and had the scarring on his face... He would not become Two Face. Yeah. Why he becomes Two Face is because she's dead. That's what leads him to his belief that there's nothing fair, and the only thing in, that's fair in the world is fifty-fifty chance. Um. So you know, they, they, there's all kinds of reasons why it works for what the movie's trying to do, but none of that takes away from the fact that it um doesn't serve her as a character at all and and does badly by her as a character like it it can be both things it can be both good and bad and i think it is i'm not saying i would necessarily take it out the film but i will still criticize the film i was gonna say i think the way to the way to make it less bad would be to put more women in the film yeah and and as i say the only other female character The only other female character is the cop who's a dirty cop who betrays, you know, yeah. who essentially betrays. Um, it is Rachel, isn't it? It's Rachel who she who she lets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's yeah, that's a shame. I think the complete flip side of that um, is the way that the movie handles Harvey Dent. Which, if yes. I was gonna <laughs> say the movie has one main protagonist, it's him because he has an arc. <laughs> yeah, totally. He has the clearest. <laughs> start to finish arc um it's 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 the story that this film is the story of how a man the rise and fall of harry dent absolute incorruptible hero gets corrupted by chaos yeah yeah as gotham should be at the end but never mind um (laughs) I, i what i love about uh this casting is it's the thing that the ballerina points out in that scene she looks at his chin and goes Oh, you could be yeah, Batman. And totally, you know what? In, in, in another, what I was going to say. Yeah. In another universe, like uh, Aaron yeah. Eckhart, if there was this many super, if there was as many superhero movies then as there are now, Aaron Eckhart at that age would have been cast as one of the heroes. Mm. He has the he has the chin and the square jaw. You could see him as he's Captain a really America, good actor. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and and he's and what I like, I mean, from some of his other performances, and certainly the performances that made his name, because uh, it's crazy that he career-wise wasn't able to capitalize on this because uh, he's so good in this movie that was enormous and just n- didn't really ever seem to replicate anything like the success mm. but you know when you look at films like thank you for smoking which was one of yeah. you know, one of his oh, biggest hits before that yeah. he's he can he can play this white knight version of harvey harvey dent at the start of the film but he also has that inherent kind of sleazy untrustworthiness that you can when they're saying oh what did the oh you know what did the guys used to call me down at mcu as they really bizarrely uh what did the guy guys used to call me down at mcu jim uh yeah they you know, harvey two-face because you can see how like the the people 
who works alongside him, you know, because he's what, what is he? Is internal affairs, isn't he? So he's mm. busting mm-hmm. dirty cops. Yep. You can yeah. see, you can see how they think. Ah, oh, there's, there's more to this guy, and you can see how like the the city could buy that there is this. You, you know, if, if it all came out, they'd all go, yeah. But equally, he can play the square jawed hero, and you can buy that side of him as well. So I think the casting is fantastic, and I think the the arc that they give him throughout the film. The, the twist is from Harvey Dent's Two-Face is fast. It's real fast, but I, but I think I buy it. You know? I think it works because he's not decided to be uh, a, a villain who's going to you know rob people and, and murder and all of that. It is completely a revenge thing. You and know, it's, a psycho- it's a psychological break. Yeah, and he is specifically setting out to kill a bunch of specific people and then himself. You know, it doesn't turn him into uh, cackling Tommy yeah, Lee Jones. Yeah, he's not. He's not busting open bank, banks and yeah. yeah. And I and Which I really like in this. If, if there's an element of Two Face, you do kind of want to see it's him robbing places that have the number two in the name and, and leaving <laughs> clues about it. Like that's that is a, that is an element that's that's sadly missing. But then I you think kind of the Tommy Lee Jones version anyway. was good enough to to give us this different interpretation. Hmm. That's the only time anyone's ever used the word good in association with the Tommy Lee Jones version. <laughs> um, what I like in the in the first half of this film with Den is that you you do set him up in this kind of triumvirate with Gordon and Batman, and it is this this kind of like three pronged assault on how do we take down how do we take down the mob in the city, and the fact that you've got you've got law, you've got order, and then you've got you know the vigilante together. It's a it's a really interesting trio. Obviously, it's something that had been done in the comics and that Nolan took inspiration from. Um, but it's a great setup to have kind of almost these two movies existing at the same time, where for the first half of the movie you've got these three characters going. How do we take down the mob? Also, there's apparently this guy called the Joker out there, but I mean. Batman, you take down these masked costume villains all the time. I'm sure that you, you know, you'll you'll sort you'll sort him out in no time. So we'll just focus on taking down the mob. And so the first battle in the movie is this like two pronged. They're almost not that concerned with each other, or you you think the the Joker's not that concerned to begin with. What the Joker wants to do is he wants to create anarchy in the city, so he wants to like re-establish the criminal foothold. Whereas Batman, Dent, and Gordon are trying to take it down from the other side, um, and they kind of keep that pretty separate. And even when, even when the Joker and Batman like encounter each other for the first time, it's about Dent at that point, and you don't you don't realize. Obviously, it's it's kind of inherent to the Joker, but the film doesn't really tip his hand that for the Joker, this is all about Batman. And Batman really hasn't given two hoots about about the Joker until he threw Rachel out of a window anyway. So <laughs> um I really like I really like that dynamic. And I think it it's a really good balance between those four characters. I mean I wouldn't say that like I say, I think Batman maybe of the of those three gets gets less screen time, but it's probably really, really even between the between those four characters of how how much they're in the movie. Because Old, uh, Oldman's a supporting character in the Batman Begins. He's a co-lead here. I don't think there's any doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, although he doesn't really have an arc, does he? 
Like, I mean, uh, I'm not sure what Batman does, to be honest. Um, so I, I, I think... I think, for... I think they both have character progression, but I don't feel like it's necessarily their story. Like, what? Jim Gordon gets sort of promoted. And no, he no, starts no. the film believing in Batman and ends the film believing in Batman. But pretending not to believe in Batman. Well, yeah. Like, I don't feel like he changes over the course of the film. Yeah, no, I think that's fine. I think that's fair. But I think that I don't think that Nolan is interested in telling a story about Batman. At, I don't think he's maybe interested in telling a story about any of the characters. I think it just so happens that Dent is the one who ends up personifying the overall arc and kind of ends up being the battleground for the themes of the movie. Because I think what Nolan wants to do is he wants to tell this sprawling crime epic, which has this bunch of characters in it who are all kind of serving functions in this in this big crime battle for the heart and soul of the city. And within that, what what he's then doing is he's he's doing his whole like metaphor about the night being darkest just before the dawn. So we need to see things get really, really terrible before we can show that chink of light. Um and I think all of that I think all of that stuff is is more central to what to what he's trying to do than any particular character arcs. I think I think if anything, it's just lucky that Dent is the one who gets the arc to himself, you know? <laughs> and because we haven't met him already, so we don't really know anything. So he walks into the movie and and yeah, and we kind of we kind of follow him through. Yeah, it. I mean my only problem with that is that it just continues this run of Batman being the least interesting character in his own movies. So I'm still not sure he's the I'm, I'm still not sure he's the least interesting because I think the I think when Bale is Bruce Wayne he's really great, um, and I I like his scenes yeah you know, I, I I love his I love his scene at the dinner table with Dent and Rachel um I love I love his scene where he crashes his car and. <laughs> yeah, fakes. Yeah, fakes and, and, and it's was... and it's talking talking to Gordon as Bruce Wayne. I love, uh, and I and I think it. He's he's actually I think probably uh, in this the least of any of the trilogy. Uh, Michael Caine, um, but any time that that Caine and Bale are together, I think I think that it's really strong. Caine as well. does lay it on a bit thick. He really <laughs> does lay it on thick. Wow. <laughs> well, just wait till we get to the Dark Knight Rises set. Well, quite. Uh, but you know his his story about the man in Burma um, is you know, <laughs> um, some men just want to watch the world burn, Master Bruce. I mean, it's a it's it's a good line, but we do take a little while getting there. <laughs> there's, um, I mean, there's quite a few of those really killer lines, though. You know, where, like you you know that that Nolan's got this line. I mean, that you know, you ever die, you either die a hero, or live long enough to see yourself <laughs> become the villain, is fantastic. There, there are a lot of take the rest of the day off when you've written that line lines in it definitely <laughs> yeah I, I mean uh, yeah and, and that's one and I mean the Joker probably gets a few as well um, but it's the, there, are, there are basically there are points throughout this film where you get a line like that and you go yeah that's what the movie's about mm-hmm. like like I said the, the, the night's darkest just before the dawn yeah that's what the movie's about you either die a hero you live I'm, I'm not sure villain. it's true that, that the night is actually I know the metaphor is true, but I don't think it's actually. I, surely, surely it gets gradually lighter just before the dawn. <laughs> I think the night's probably it's darkest no, when like, when the sun is right over the other side. The logic of that is, 
it gets darkest it... and then it starts like anything that starts getting lighter is counted as the dawn. Yeah. Mm. There we go. But it's not though, is it? Cuz <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it it gets darkest for an extended period of time. Before... <laughs> right, I'm moving this on. I'm moving this on. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh... I think now I think we're I think we're at the point where we can discuss my favourite scene in the movie. Um Is this everyone's favourite scene in the movie? <laughs> it's one of the greatest scenes of all time. Uh it's one of the greatest uh, performances in a single scene of all time. Yeah. Because I mean, we've, I don't we've think, seen I don't him... think there's a point in the movie where he's not perfect. Like it, it like yeah. there is just there is not a moment in the film where he falters at any point. Every single but moment, this, he's perfect. But this but scene in this is scene, breathtaking. He is even more perfect than he is in all of the other scenes, even though that is not, um, strictly speaking, um, syntactically possible. We've seen a glimpse of him. Uh, I mean, because I think his opening line in the in the you know the opening scene, you know, what doesn't kill you only makes you stranger, is a little bit like, mm, okay, fine, uh, but. Oh, look, he looks really cool, so let's to let's be, carry on. To and be find fair, out. his opening line is, No, I kill the bus driver, and that's a great yeah. line. <laughs> yeah. Um but here he walks in and I, I don't even know where you begin <laughs> with the Joker performance because there's so much going on. Obviously there is visually, which is kind of like I guess a kind of a traditional Joker look in terms of the actual costume it's got He's it's got a little the waistcoat and the purple yeah. purple jacket yeah. yeah but some but somehow because because of the because of the hair and the makeup and mm. the scars ends up feeling completely different like it, it this feels like a yes this is a version of the joker but it's so unlike anything we've seen and i mean was there anything in the comics that even felt like this before not not with the joker no no, no. um and it, what I really like about it is that it's so it's and like this is true of everything the Joker does in the movie, and that's why his costume and his look work so perfectly. It's meticulous chaos because the whole thing about the Joker is like, oh, yeah. you know, I'm I'm a force of chaos. I just do this, 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 and this. It's like, well, no, everything the Joker does in the movie is precision planned and timed mm. to perfection. Um, it just looks ragged and chaotic. And the same goes for his outfit. He's wearing a suit that is custom made with no labels in it. He carries <laughs> nothing on him. He has no fingerprints. And he puts that but makeup on looks, every time. Exactly. But he looks like he's been living as a tramp, which he obviously hasn't. And it's just so... And it's everything about that is designed to make sure that nobody knows what the hell to expect from him. He just throws everyone off guard just by being there in a way that if he was just your classic white skin, green haired Joker in a sharp suit, it wouldn't, not saying it wouldn't be great, it, you know, with this, with the exception of a certain recent movie, anytime you do the Joker, it's probably going to be great. But, <laughs> you know, this, this just as, as a version and as a new way to do it, it's not just about making him look grungy and punky for the sake of it. It's there is a point to it, and it just nails it. And the same goes for his mannerisms, because he could be, he could just be delivering that dialogue, or you know, just <clears throat> doing that voice and wearing that costume, and that would kind of be enough. But it's the you know, he's never still, 
and like there's so much going on every little movement and the way he walks and the way he holds himself and the way he's constantly licking his lips and which is which I I love because uh, because of what it does to the delivery it's it's kind of you know whenever you hear that kind of yeah, it's I, I it's think kind it's, of a, it's kind of a little bit gross, you know. If we were doing that all the way through the podcast, if I was just getting close <laughs> to the mic and going, you'd hate that. Listeners would ne- would stop listening. Um, it, it's a little bit gross, but also it it hints, doesn't it, that like he's constantly playing around with his tongue inside mm. his mouth because those scars go all the way up inside his cheek. Yeah. So he's constant, and it probably is, it's probably something weird with his going on with his saliva as well because of those scars. Mm-hmm. And so it feels like it's a massive affectation in the performance, but mm. it's one that makes sense. It, it's one that adds to the character. You're right. The twitches, the way that his voice it modulates mm. very my, differently my all the time. In the whole film, isn't one of his big pronouncements. Although lots of those are great. I know what you're about. Yeah, to you say. know what I'm, I'm going to sure say. I know what you're about. It's, to say. it's that yeah. In this scene where he goes, he's crazy. He's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. not yeah, I'm sorry crazy. for doing the impression, but you know <laughs> that is that that moment is is everything about that character. I mean, the thing like the thing for me that sets him apart from every other version of the Joker, and I include the comics version in this, is that. He's actually really funny. Because, like, the Joker, as well as being, like, crazy, you know, he's supposed to be a clown. Like, he's supposed to be comic in his mannerisms. And Heath Ledger is the only time, like, of any previous version that that's actually worked for me. Like, it's Mm. the thing, like, when he's he's got, he opens his coat and he's got the grenades and he's, like, (laughs) fingering. It's, like, it's so ridiculous. (laughs) And yet, the way he plays it, it's like like a clown doing a little magic trick. It is, but it, and it's not, but it's not an over the top, like funny either. It's not like Mark Hamill animated series, like <laughs> yeah. or or Jack Nicholson, which is I'm the Joker. Let me tell you all <laughs> yeah, these yeah, gags, exactly. you know. To be fair, I do think Jack Nicholson's Joker is quite funny at times, but he's also not funny at times. But I, I, I don't think he, I don't think it's fair to say he's never funny because I think he no. So I'm, that's that's not what I'm saying though. What I'm that's saying what is that that, saying, that, <laughs> that that kind of that kind of humor is like very. Is like very over the top. Like, look at me, aren't I funny? Oh, I'm doing all these crazy things. <laughs> yeah. Whereas that's not. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com the vibe you get from this joke you get that like 
he's just out to entertain himself. <laughs> well, and my, just, yeah. my favourite bit in the whole film, actually, is when he's blown at the hospital and the charges don't work and he's kind of looking and jabbing. Uh, and like, right, he's do, not doing do that for anyone. Do believe the story behind that or not? Yes, I believe it. <laughs> go, I've not heard it, so go on. So oh, the, right. story, the story goes that that is a real hospital that they were going to blow up, right? Uh, that it was going to be demolished. So Nolan, the, the production, hears about this and goes, can we blow it up for you? And they go, uh, uh, okay, pay us some money. Yeah, okay. So they so they get to blow up the hospital. Except if you're blowing up a hospital for real, you have to get it right the first time, you know? <laughs> yeah, you've only got so, one shot at it. <laughs> so the, the, the story goes, you've got all these little smaller explosions going off as the Joker is walking out of the building. So he then walks, there's a cut and then he walks out of the building and then he's walking down the road and there's all these series of smaller explosions going on behind him. And what you're you're expecting then is the big explosion and the big explosion doesn't eventually come. So rather than Heath Ledger going, (laughs) "Uh, what's, what's like, guys, what's going on? Shouldn't this have blown up? He stays in character. He looks at the button, he jabs at the button and he kind of like scrunches his head, turns around. Then the big explosion does go off and he kind of jumps and scurries off to the bus, completely in character. <laughs> and that that is the myth or the, the story about that scene that apparently he just stayed in character and it <laughs> it creates this amazing little moment. I want to believe it. I was going to say, I, I want that to be true. I think I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's such a great story though um going back to the going back to the scene where we meet the joker for the first time i mean we we talked about all the you know the great mannerisms and the little, little deliveries of the line during that scene his magic trick is <laughs> holy shit you're like oh what? <laughs> that's that's just one of those moments where i remember watching the movie for the first time and going Wow, what did I just is, see? Because it is one of the most unsettling moments of implied violence. Yeah, because you don't see anything, well, do you? And yeah. Yeah, and there's no sound. And it basically, I mean, there's a it thug, basically happens so off quick. screen. Yeah. Because like, you, you see him see like, push his head out of frame and then he just like flops down. Yeah, and you just. But this you, movie is constantly exactly doing what's that. Happened, but it yeah. doesn't you don't do see any of the Joker's it. violence. There's yeah. no blood in this movie. When he takes out Michael Jai White a couple of scenes later, you don't. You don't see the actual cutting of the face. Like the the only gore is Two Face's face, which is very like cartoonish gore, mm. and it's not and it's not blood, and it's not like it's just like oh god, they've taken all the skin off. Um, you don't you don't see the Joker do anything. It's all implied, and I think that's really effective. You. You still, you, despite all being implied, you still really feel the impacts of all the stuff he does. I mean, it's that it's that famous thing, isn't it, about the the ear being taken off in Reservoir Dogs? Mm. The camera deliberately pans away, and you don't actually see it happen. Mm-hmm. But if you ask a lot of people, you know, what do you think of the scene where he cuts off the ear in Reservoir Dogs? Oh, it's disgusting. It's so gory. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. like the movie makes you feel like you've seen it. Um, and Nolan does that really well here. But it also it also I don't think you'd want to see this version of the Joker actually committing the violence. I no. think it would. I, th- I, I, think, I it think it would probably it would damage strange. the character's charisma, wouldn't it? If you saw him doing that kind of thing. And we should say there is obviously 
when this movie came out, there was such a fascination and such a hype for this performance. And it was mm. partially informed by the fact that Heath Ledger had died, what, six months before. And there was, you know, this salacious tabloid stuff was like, had he got into the character too deep and all, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. So there was a weird kind of, there was a weird like mythologizing around this character and about this performance before it even, before we even got a chance to see it. But, you know, when you're watching a scene like that and within seconds he's done that and he's doing the licking of the lips and he looks the way he does and his voice is that that kind of weird cartoonish thing, but he can go down to the deep guttural, you know, the the thing that you get on the on the tape that it, that he does of torturing the Batman impersonator later in the film. <laughs> There's just so many shades to this character, and I I'm think that bit when he growls at the guy, uh, yeah, so scary, <laughs> so scary. But I think I think the greatest compliment I can pay to this performance. Is because you know a lot of times you go, oh, there's so much, you know, the, the, that that character that actor is trying to do too much with the character here, and it doesn't work. I think the greatest compliment I can pay is that with all of this stuff going on, and with all of the little, the little kind of differences that you get with the Joker throughout the film, and the way he can, you know, like it's it's good writing as well with the way that the character doesn't have a backstory like he shouldn't really and and you know that he's got these different stories for how he got his scars um that he's he's leaning into that i could be i could be anyone from anywhere and it and and crucially it doesn't matter i remember being really disappointed that it seemed like they were giving us that explanation yeah when the, the first, first time yes. he, he does the first time he tells it you're like oh that's a bit lame and then yeah the, it comes back <laughs> around and you're like oh that is awesome yeah like that's exactly yeah. how you should do the joker so, so I think obviously Ledger's got that acting in his favour that it's a it's a very well written character as well, but I think when it comes down to it, the fact that I can look at this performance with so much going on and going, I can't quite explain fully why it is so good because it's just this it's just this perfect blend of so many things that's just so carefully balanced in every scene where Ledger's giving where Ledger's giving this performance. And it has been slightly mythologized by the fact that he the fact that he died and 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 you know, the fact that he never really got to talk about this performance. He never mm. got to lift back the curtain. He never got to say, well, you know, I did this because of this. And Nolan was so respectful, you know, I, I think actually to the detriment of the of the Dark Knight Rises, just, you know, not wanting to really say much about Heath Ledger, you know, behind the scenes, just kind of letting the performance speak for itself, itself, and completely removing any reference to the Joker in the sequel. It, it just leaves it. All we've got is this performance. I mean, I was browsing through the special features on the, on the Blu-ray. There's nothing. There's 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 <laughs> nothing there. Like, I I kind of after about five minutes, I went, oh, this is a waste of time. <laughs> because there's nothing it, and and so it all kind of it all kind of lives and breathes in that performance and Ledger's phenomenal I he's mean, really phenomenal it's kind of funny isn't it because when he was cast everyone was like what the guy from the night film yeah um, well I mean he was known for Brokeback Mountain Night's Tale is a great film and he's great in it yeah. but yeah. Um, Brokeback Mountain was, was what he was famous that's what had established him as an actor Rather than a kind of teen <laughs> idol, um, but there was I think James, there was, it, so it, there was backlash. There was a back. There was a backlash from the kind of also like, 
oh, the guy from the gay cowboy movie. Yeah. He's going to be the Joker. Also, even that, I mean, this is probably more, you probably didn't see as much of this, Joe, but as, as a comics fan, that first photo, which is the, the one that's most, it's really, is a really dark photo. And he's oh, no, I know. He's, he's kind of like half the behind the glass. Yeah. And like, yeah. that first photo came out and everyone was like, that's what they're doing with the Joker? And I, <laughs> I would probably have been uh, like that myself because it, it looked so grubby and so weird. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm sure I probably had doubts about is this really going to feel like the Joker? Um, but I think it's... I think it's wrong to... I mean, I, I agree with you that there is a certain amount to which it's mythologized in terms of talking about what went into it and stuff. Um, I honestly and truly don't believe that my opinion of how good it is is coloured by the fact that he died before it came out. I, I, I've said this before. I, you know, He would not have won the Oscar if he hadn't died. But if he was, I don't, if, I don't believe that. I, I think he would have done. I, yeah, I, don't think I kind he, of I, think I, he would have as well. I don't think he would. I don't but, think it, but I, think I don't think it would have been would have certain been from that early in the year. <laughs> I don't think it would have been like from you know from you know the moment yeah, the movie yeah. came out because it annoyed me actually in the year. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he's amazing, but can we at least see the other performances first? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he's. I, I think this is such a singular performance that I think he would have won it anyway. Um, and, and you know, Nolan does add that kind of veneer of respectability that at least gets it gets it on the, <laughs> on the radar. Yeah. radar. And this was the guy who'd been in Brokeback Mountain. It's weird. I need to it's go back though, to... It? Um, like, it's, it's kind of, as a fan of these movies, it's so frustrating that this is just the one time it's happening. Because we're so like programmed to expect sequels and reimagine like returns and cameos, but this is all we've got, and it's all we're ever going to get. Yeah. yeah, but that but that also means there's not there's nothing to kind of color it. There's nothing to ruin it. <laughs> it never had the chance to go shit. No, yeah, never had the chance. What to you're suck. saying is, Joe, you're glad that Heath Ledger died so that we didn't get a bad. No, I'm saying it. It, it just that's what you've said. <laughs> Don't deny yeah, it. That is what I said. I do. I do think though it just adds this extra l- layer of mystique to the performance mm-hmm. that I that I don't think harms the movie itself. Obviously, mm. it was tragic, but I don't think it actually yeah it harms the movie itself. It almost. Um, it almost it, I mean, I kind of remember this at the time as well. It almost just kind of feels a bit unreal. Oh um, yeah, you know, and and yeah, you you don't really think about it when you're watching the film, but it's like. It's it's really it's it's kind of I don't mean this in a bad way, but it is kind of easy to forget that he literally died before. It's not even you know he did this amazing performance. This film came out, and then he died a little while afterwards. He died before this film came out. It was like this. It was really like right around this that. time, wasn't it? In fact, I'm just like yeah. So it was January twenty second, yeah. two thousand and eight. So nearly a decade ago, and I mean, yeah, I, I, you mentioned a Knight's Tale, Seb. I am. Are probably in the minority of one of thinking a Knight's Tale is is like one of the underrated masterpieces of the two thousands. I think I wouldn't use the M word, but I think it's a great uh, film. <laughs> I, I, I I honestly I think it is damn near perfect. Um, and I remember watching that that film for the first time and going, oh yeah, so that's what a movie star is, you know? That what, watching what <laughs> what Heath Ledger was doing in that I mean, movie, he, going, that's a movie star right there. He. Yeah, he's it's it's Chris Hemsworth basically is what he was he could have better. Been, well, yeah, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, yeah. But in, ter- in I mean, in terms of a star, you know, in, in, like that that star level and that type of of, of actor and kind of stuff. I mean, I do like, yeah. like. I sort of do just think if anyone else had been this good, like we would have had him turning up. Like, you know, I kind of want to speculate what the third film would have been if he'd mm. been alive, because it seems impossible that they would have left it dangling, like quite literally, as they did mm. in this one. Well, I mean, the the last scene is literally the Joker saying, "I mean, that yeah. you know, we're gonna do this dance <laughs> that again." That line again. hurts yeah. so much; it mm-hmm. really does. And you can see yeah. why he left it in, and it's a, in you know, all things considered, it's a nice way to leave the character because you can imagine, especially given the the gap you've got to 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 rises, you can sort of, you can imagine them having a bit of a history that you just never get to see. Well, uh, you can't because Batman hasn't been around. Oh yeah, true. He does just disappears, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's the weird thing just... about the Batman films is that yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Batman doesn't so... do very much. <laughs> <laughs> maybe off in another country, they you know he's not in Gotham, but maybe he escapes Arkham. Mm, you know, his tank got yeah. blown up, didn't it? Chase each other around the world. Okay, um, so let's talk about the bit that James hates, which is the the Hong Kong yeah, sequence. C- like, convince so, I... me that this is in the film for any reason other okay. than them wanting it's, to sell it in China. This is, I, I'm going to say that this is the point in the film at which Batman is the most Batman. Because this is Batman doing something utterly ridiculous, completely disregarding all conventions for staying within the boundaries of the law, but with his view that what he's doing <laughs> is the right thing and using ridiculous technology to go and do something utterly ridiculous that nobody would ever attempt, and succeeding, and then leaving him on the steps of uh, the police station with a note attached. Um, <laughs> that's what I want to see from my Batman, is <laughs> I I feel like the, the film could have lost the entire action part of that and just gone straight from, I'll figure it out, checking him on the doorstep, being like, Batman did all this crazy stuff and we don't need to... Right. It's the Christopher Nolan thing of how would this actually work in a practical sense and now yes. I'm going to show it to you. And that's the stuff so here's I find the thing, most James. boring about Nolan's Batman. Here's the thing. Skyhook, cool. Really cool. Is it though? Like, I just It left me so cold. It's cool. Looks cool. Nah. The idea's cool. Watching it, I was like, that's cool. But, I mean, so is it cool that's, enough? That's why that good. Is it cool no, enough so to I, make your film two and a half hours long? Because I don't think I, know, so it, I think it would be better I think, if the James, plane was a bat wing. <laughs> I think for I think first of all, James, I think you're overestimating how long this scene lasts for. Uh, and second, I think the reason the function it serves in the movie is for Nolan to sell the scale of this, of this, of the kind of the and how the criminal underworld function so we have to so we have to have that you know this is the money guy and it has it has to actually work in a way that we can be like okay oh yeah so if batman does this and then that falls down but then if joker does this and leans on this part and so it's kind of showing you the pressure points of the crime organization um i think okay the thing i, I just James, quickly, the i thing completely I, agree the with thing you I disagree the, with the, about the that. actual scene is not fascinating it's not great to watch i mean the thing i disagree with about that is as soon as you take batman out of gotham like he loses his purpose because his purpose is to protect Gotham. Like if you're saying Batman is fighting crime on a global scale, like if you're not doing Batman Inc, <laughs> why is he hanging around in Gotham all of a sudden? Like 
if he's, he's bringing if he's, the guy back to Gotham. Yeah, but if he's extraditing people from China, like, why isn't he dealing with crime in other cities? Like, it just, it, you know. Because they haven't got anything to do with Gotham. Yeah. Like, I think as soon as you take Batman out of Gotham, it loses something. I think it get. I think because I think this is more a movie about crime in Gotham than it is about Batman being a vigilante. Um, I think it. I think it works fine in the function of this film. For what for what Nolan's trying to do in this film, I think it's. I think it's fine. The the what the, just the one part I would agree with you on is that I don't think it's the most interesting sequence because it's again Batman doing hand-to-hand combat in a building <laughs> and any time that happens in this film it's a, I do fall asleep a little bit yeah so we we go back to Gotham and so kind of we're watching these these two things go on at the same time and the Joker does his thing you know where he where he targets the he targets the people the kind of the well who's he he kills the commissioner and the judge he kills um, the voice of the cube <laughs> wow um, and he also tries to kill uh batman well and that's when that's when uh gordon manages to do his his fake out saving he tries to kill richard from lost richard alpert yeah <laughs> yeah but ba- batman well <laughs> it's just i just it just amuses me that batman well is in the batman movies <laughs> and it and it and it always will um yeah, and th- and this is kind of this is kind of where Joker gets onto Batman's radar for the first time because really at this point in the movie it's like uh, Den and uh, Den and Gordon and Batman essentially think they've won. You know, they've they've taken down the Money Man. They've 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 done what they need to do. Den has got this Rico case now um, where. You get that again. It's it's another one of the winking at the camera moments where Dent just gets to be this like blonde haired, blue eyed, d- just angel that the press adore because he's like, yeah, look at look at us, look at all these people I've brought into court. <laughs> so it looks like they've won, and then the Joker fights back and goes, actually, Gotham, you know, at the moment where you think that things are going really well, this is when I'm going to screw with things for you, and this is when they like get onto each other's radar for the first time. Um. And we, we, we've had the scene in the party, which I think we talked about a little bit. We get we get Joker's second story of how he got those scars. Um, but really where the movie kicks into gear is after the assassination attempt of Batman well, because that's when... That's when kind of all, all of the real big action kicks in. So we have the Joker making his threat and saying that you know, Batman, you need to reveal your secret identity. Um and he's and he's going to do. Uh but then but Dent does it first. So then Dent's taken into custody. And then we get our big car chase sequence. And again, I think this was this was the big IMAX sequence in the film, wasn't it? I mean, Nolan, the king of IMAX, is pretty much <laughs> single handedly I, I hope he owns shares in IMAX because <laughs> he has raised the hell of the, the price of those shares. Um, but yeah, that that sequence is. I mean, God, the when thing, the Bat Pod comes out, the thing that really oh, does oh. this this sequence for me is, and because I'm sure it's not really something I've seen done much in films in other films, but the sound. There's no score during, and usually you would expect in a in a chase sequence to have you know a kind of. Uh, pulse racing bit of soundtrack underneath it. Keystone cops. But there's no hmm? Keystone cops. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, but you know, there's no score, and the sound is all done in snatches. Um, you know, and the kind of cutting in the little bits of dialogue from from the driver and stuff. Um, and I, I just think it's really effective. I think it really it gives that sense of of speed and pace and and chaos to it to just have these you know these roaring screeching noises. But it's not a constant hum of of cars either you know it's it's just these snatches and i just think it's really really effective i think it really pulls you in yeah and and then just from from a big scope and this is this nolan doing a little bit of his funnies you know there's the there's the little two kids doing the yeah hand handguns at the cars and suddenly they do start being shot at and exploding and the bat the batmobile fires past yeah, um, unfortunately, it's another scene in a Batman movie with Batman in a vehicle shooting guns. Um, yeah. And given that this is, I think, the only Batman movie to really make a point out of <laughs> Batman doesn't kill. Yeah. But he is still driving around blowing stuff up with guns. So. I mean, they do have that quite good scene where he dismantles the shotgun. And you're like, yeah, because Batman doesn't use guns. And it's like, well, yeah. unless they're in his car. Yeah. His car exactly. uses guns. He doesn't. Yeah, I do. I do like like you, Joe. I do really like the Bat Pod. It's silly and it's probably only there to sell toys. But I do think, as I say, that pretty much everything effective that Batman does in this Again. movie is driving and it's so all cool. of those sequences when he's whizzing around with the Bat. Uh, I just thought really that was great. so dumb. Like the design is stupid. The origin. I'm not what? It's not there is nothing. No, the there is nothing. Awesome. Like, uh, I just can't get on board with it. It's the bit where he's like pressing the eject sequence and a bike comes out of his car it's like how is that different yeah. from the batmobile driving up a wall like it's or just how, not or how is it different from the bit in batman returns where it um goes all really narrow to go through the wall the answer is it's not different in the slightest but it's batman <laughs> yeah and it's and bad and in if, every film and if, it, if they sell it in the in the world the facts that nolan can sell it in this movie that is Otherwise, taking itself so seriously, uh, I think See, you know. This is, credit this is to one it. of the things I like about the Nolan Batman films is they lull unsuspecting regular moviegoers into thinking they're <laughs> not comic book movies when they absolutely are, and they have all the ridiculousness of comic book movies. They just dress it differently, um, and this is you know we will get to it probably not for a while, but this is why there are certain things I will massively defend about the Dark Knight Rises <laughs> because I think it's 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 them going fuck you we are a Batman movie, um, and I like that this film does that as well. It has its cake and eats it, but it does it successfully. <laughs> That's the difference, Seb. It does it successfully. <laughs> <laughs> so the the what, here's why the Batpod's cool. Um, big wheels, great. They look uh, so wheels. stupid. No, James, you're wrong. The wheels, sometimes, they turn horizontally. Ah, <sighs> oh, so cool. And then he drives up the wall and flips back around and lands it, and it's really cool. Can I, so can I just check? Do either of you guys drive a car? Yes. Because I think if you actually drive cars, you don't find cars cool. No, so, right, I, I'm not Jeremy a big... Clarkson. <laughs> I'm not... I'm not a big car guy. Like I, I'm not like obsessed with cars. Um, I think the the idea of in, in the first one of giving Batman that big bulky Batmobile, this military style vehicle, I like that to begin with, and then just to yeah one up it slightly because I I never really got excited about the Batwing in the third movie. 
but this bike, I'm just like, oh, that looks really cool. And then the fact when he's doing the, the zigzagging underneath the uh, articulated lorry, and then there is something to it. it I know it's, a, a, it's slightly a gimmick that Nolan does these stunts for himself and does and actually does this shit like he does at the start of The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> but there's something about the fact that that is an actual articulated lorry flipping upside down and you see the physics of it and you see you see the kind of all the different shots the same way that that hospital is really blowing up in the end you do feel it you do feel the the kind of the visceral nature of the stunt that he's pulling off and um i love that whole chase sequence i I love it a bit i think i think for me like my preference is for a Batman who is like grounded and stealthy and that's incompatible with he drives a tank and several motorbikes or whatever. I I see. I, I think I'm with Seb. I like the mix between the two. Like I acknowledge I like that it. it's a established part of the character, but like for me, that stuff works better on the page where you don't have to watch car chases because car chases right, are okay. inevitably <laughs> tedious. Let's get I, back to something I am you do generally like. Generally, with you on, on, I'm not a big fan of car chases in movies, which is why it surprises me that I like this car chase so much. Um, so yeah, let, let's let's get back to something you do like, though, James. <laughs> so the Joker's there, and he's like, you know, hit me, hit me, and then and then Batman. So yeah, because Batman doesn't kill, and I love how much that kind of delights and frustrates the Joker at the same time. <laughs> It's what he says at the end of the movie, like, you know, I'm not going to kill you. You're not going to kill me. That's what's so brilliant about this. Like, <laughs> and even, and even if, even if you were right this time, even if I, if you've won this time or I win next time, it doesn't matter. It's the fact that we get to play this game. That's thrilling. Um, so I, I love that. And then him skipping over gleefully towards Batman <laughs> and, and like the joy that he takes in the fact that Batman has uh, protected his cowl with that little electric shock. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I can't remember where I heard this. So it was someone, someone was talking about the Dark Knight and saying, the thing about that moment that's wonderful is that it's the Joker. What delights him the most is that someone else takes this as seriously <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as he does. He's got his playmate. So, uh, yeah, actually, and, and he, the Joker knows how ridiculous it all is, but also it's everything to him. I can't remember which bit of the film it is, but there's that scene where he delivers the speech about how, like, you know, we're connected. And I was like, oh, this is the same thing Lego Batman was doing with the Joker. <laughs> this is a better movie than the Lego Batman movie. Yeah, that's not difficult to be. <laughs> um... So then the Joker, I mean, we'll, we'll eventually find out. And uh, I, I think this, this next sequence is a, a masterstroke for Nolan. I don't, at this time, had we already got tired of the villain this is what intentionally I was getting ask. locked up? I, don't... I can't remember. Or, when, or no, was this, this like was one of the things that, that kicked it off? Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is, this is, it's certainly not the first example of it being done, but it's the first major modern example in this yeah i think this did it and then by the time it happened to loki and avengers everyone was like oh right you're getting deliberately caught again yeah yeah i mean i i think i think star trek into darkness is the one that made everyone go oh again (laughs) certainly made that movie um, but that movie can fuck i I was gonna ask if because we have talked about this we talked about this with avengers um you know 
can you criticize this movie for doing that because we have criticized other other movies for it it has become a tired trope surely we have to judge this film by that standard as well or does the fact that it wasn't an annoying trope at that point let it off i i i think it's all in the execution and in the execution even though, again, there are kind of plot holes in this. The fact that, oh yeah, he's been locked up against next to this guy who he happens to, you know, stitch the cell phone into his <laughs> stomach. Um, and that no one checks that despite this guy screaming out. You see, see, again, hurts. you say he happened to do that. I prefer to think that there are like seven or eight henchmen around <laughs> that have all got mobile yeah. phone bombs in their stomachs. Then he just dials the number for the right one. And it's like it's what I said earlier because because the Joker because there is this ethereal quality to him that you're just like yeah okay I buy it that it worked out because he because he planned it to be so so it is um, yeah I think the yeah, and, and, and I mean we've we've already we've just come off the biggest kind of like logic gap in the movie with Gordon pretending to be dead <laughs> and then so so this even I think the Joker locking himself up has some holes in it i think there are some holes in the way he reveals to batman where den and um rachel are because it's it so it it can so nearly go three or four different ways that don't end with how the joker wanted it to end yeah because what it you relies know, it, on is him managing to get out and detonate the bomb just at the right time no it's yeah, not a timer cause... isn't it well okay yeah uh, so even if those ones are on so a he's saying, Yeah, but he's saying they're going to blow up at a certain time that he can only save one of them. But what if what if they hadn't been able to save either of them or what if they'd been able to save both of yeah. them? In both of those eventualities. Or, I mean, and like you can say, like he knew Batman would go to Rachel so that he knew that it would be Dent that survived. But what if it hadn't have been? You know, like it's just... There, there's... The way the movie executes it, it's like it could never have happened any other way. Um, but I think there are holes in it. But like I said, when I'm watching, I don't care. And when the Joker has got locked up intentionally, I don't care because he's sat there doing that clap when yeah. everyone's applauding. <laughs> it means you get that, and it means you get yeah. the scene in the cell, which I, th- I think possibly his funniest moment of the whole film is never start with the head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> When when Batman uh, has one of his various forays into this in this movie towards right wing Bashira politics, <laughs> um, uh, which which he always he, he always kind of pulls back from, but you know he does start off with a little bit of torture with the Joker. He does start off with a massive massive infringement of civil liberties before he uh, blows up his yeah. Computer. D- like to be honest, I find the politics of the movie troubling. Not as troubling as the Dark Knight Rises, but the idea that oh, it's okay if I do it. Or it's okay if you do it, because we know we'll switch it off afterwards. So, I mean, no, it's not. You're not wrong, but that is the pretty fun. Like, it's okay if I do it is pretty much the <laughs> fundamental premise of Batman. If you say Batman can't do that, you don't have Batman anymore. I mean, that's fine. That's, I mean, that's fine when it's putting yourself James. in personal danger to have a fight with a crook. Is different when you're surveilling an entire city's worth of people. Without their James, consent. I'm not sure if you missed this at the start of the movie, but that's the difference between us and him. We're not wearing hockey, we're wearing hockey pads, <laughs> <laughs> so that's why. Um, the actual execution of the scene where Rachel and Dent are tied up and talking to each other, and the way that that the way that the scene plays with our expectations, I think 
it is really incredible because you watch that scene and from very early on in that scene where Dent falls over into the gasoline and half of his face is covered in gasoline, you go, oh, well, I know how this scene's going to end. So mm-hmm. he's going to go save Rachel and he's not going to get to Dent in time and half of Dent's body is going to be burnt and he's then going to be two-faced. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that's not what happens. I mean, it's. I mean, that... it does make it makes that it makes that moment. It's like what I said. I don't think it's fantastic because it is a fridging, but it makes that moment incredibly powerful and incre- like it's such a gut punch. Well, yeah, it's, it's such an incredible. It's that gut like punch. that feeling of like your stomach falling away when, like, the door bursts open and Batman comes to Dent, and you're just like, oh fuck. But the way that it's also... the way that Nolan films that as well, because mm. you don't. It's not like you open a door and you see Dent. It's like a door opens and you hear. I can't. I don't even know whether you're on Rachel's face at that point. And you hear it through the mic. Or, I, I can't remember exactly how it happens, but I know the way you find out is by Dent going, "No, yeah. no, yeah. Why, why did, did you, you come, come to, to me?" me? Yeah. I also like that it doesn't do that. And you know, I'm sorry to. It almost feels unfair to make a facile comparison, but if you look at. Um, Amazing Spider-Man 2 killing off its female lead and doing this kind of drawn out, uh, you know, slow motion music drenched over it tragic sequence. Oh, yeah. And what happens here is mid sentence, <laughs> it explodes. You don't, you don't get a big full on scene of it. It cuts away from it, and then that's it. She's gone. It's yeah. just you don't get the like snatches her away. You don't get the pornographic like, here's about... the corpse moment. Yeah, like it's just she's you just, done. You get brooding. You get brooding. Batman knelt in front of the uh, in front of the rubble in the background, don't you? Which I think maybe becomes like the defining image of this movie, which is crazy mm. to say. That but the that's the point. Is he's not in front. You know, he's not there. That you know, where she gets yeah. blown up is where the cops are outside. So you you can't have that moment where Batman would go and find her body because mm. he's over on the other side of town when it happens. And. The way that the uh, what I was talking about, Maggie Gyllenhaal being so great in this scene earlier is, it's you know when they're having the conversation on the thing and and Dent's going, Rachel, don't worry, he's coming for you. Uh, they're coming, they're gonna come and save you. And Rachel's like, I know, and that's what that. But Harvey, I need to tell you, you know, because she thinks. She's going to be fine. She's like, she she's she knows that Bruce is Batman. She knows that <laughs> Bruce will come and save her. And so the, so the realisation on her face when she realises that Batman has turned up for Dent and she's just hearing it down the mic is, it's heartbreaking. And then like, the, the delivery from Jill and Hall as she's, as she's saying those last things down the microphone, and uh, and then yeah, and then she's blown up mid sentences. Oh, I think it's devastating, and like I said, I think for a for a, a kind of something that conceptually we can say mm, not great. There's no better way to execute it if if that is what you're going to do. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I I think it's really pretty incredible. Um, I mean, you know, I, we can criticize it as a thing to do, but you can't criticize it as a piece of filmmaking because, as a piece of filmmaking, it's yeah, really well done. Yeah, um, I think one one of the plot threads that we've not really talked about, but I'm not really sure we really need to, is the you know the exec who's gonna out Bruce Wayne as Batman, the Riddler. Oh, really? 
Oh yeah, that was the big yeah. the big theory yeah. was that he'd go on to be the Riddler in the third film, despite oh, the fact thanks. that his name is not Edward Nigma. Uh, <laughs> these films really like bringing in characters with like new characters with completely different names who who have no forebear in the comics, don't they? I mean, all all comic book movies kind of do it, but but the Nolan Batman films do it quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean that that plot threads going on in the background it's not that interesting um i do like i, I do it... like lucius's conversation i was gonna say that kind it's of fun. could have been the yeah. end of it couldn't it i mean like... james was talking before about um moments where this film is funny and you've got that scene with him and you've then got the scene with bruce crashing the car so he's which is the for two pretty which makes it all worth it film. yeah <laughs> yeah i'm fine with um it. and i like it because it's again it's it's something that doesn't get explored often because if if these movies were to stop and think too hard about the idea of secret identities, they would fall apart. So I like that this does go, well, yeah, somebody probably could figure out that Bruce Wayne was Batman, but then they'd have a really good reason for not um, revealing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, really, though, that's I think that's the only kind of part of the part of the, of the rest of the movie that doesn't feel like it has been ramped up to 11 and going at a million miles because I, I know it kind of ties up ties into other stuff that's going on in the final acts but the final kind of after after dense injury we kind of have as i said that that fairly quick transformation like uh, the joker comes and gives him that that talk which i think basically it doesn't really change anything for Dent. All it really does is make him go, look, you can come after me if you want to, Harvey, but, you know, am I the real villain here? Or is the real villain the entire system that you thought that you could fight for and was actually flawed to begin with? That's... You know, all, all of these people who are pretending that there is order. There is no such thing as order. I, mean, I just quickly want to point out that's the scene that has the like famous gif moment or whatever where the joker turns up wearing a face mask and it's only when he takes the mask off that he's like oh it's the joker realizes that it's yeah. a joker. And it's like it's really considering how slick everything else in the film is it's really funny to watch that and like it was clearly an oversight in the script or something where it says like oh yeah the joker comes in wearing a mask yeah but in the film itself yeah. it's just like oh it's him yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, I love the Joker in that nurse's outfit. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's it's, it's an iconic again, look, isn't it? Like, and truly. the way that he, the way that he kind of waddles out of the <laughs> hospital wearing it as yeah. well. Again, it's just one of those things that, like, because Heath Ledger is making a choice with every single little thing he does, it just leads to these delightful moments in almost every scene. Um, and so yeah, so what you get at that point is you kind of get again the movie the movie in its last moments split f fracturing into two where you've got Batman is now completely focused on the Joker and has almost forgot that. Or, I mean, I guess he's not even really aware for a long time that Harvey Dent has mm. become, has become this villain is out there doing this stuff. So he becomes entirely focused on taking down the Joker Again, I think the build-up in this sequence with the whole fighting the way at the building, uh, conceptually, I like it. It's like making the hostages look like 
the the goons and the goons look like the hostages. Um, it's a oh, fun. We we jumped ahead a bit here because we've jumped past Harvey's killing spree. Um, which he well, that's of. why I was gonna, I was gonna do, I was kind of saying uh, they were because they're kind of two separate things. Mm. I think if we kind of deal with the joke a bit <laughs> and then do the then do the Harvey bit because the movie does again it really does split it down the middle. So like the Joker is done with Dent. And Batman doesn't know that Dent's out there. And it's only really when the Joker says, oh, hey, Batman, by the way, it doesn't matter if I've lost this battle. Harvey's out there. That the joke that Batman then has to run off. Um, so, yeah, that, that actual sequence. I don't, do you guys agree the actual, you know, fighting the goons in the building? Yeah, it's another... I mean, the... Um... Uh, yeah, it's one of the say, things I that Batman like v Superman actually does it's, better. It's, 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 it's the Joker... Um doing the joke the thing that he does throughout the movie which is to to play with your expectations and to swap mm. things around so you know the the twist of uh yeah the hostages or the clowns is good but it it's really also just there to give a reason for batman to be able to fight some cops um and it's and then it goes on a bit and then it goes on a bit more <laughs> yeah but when he gets up there uh, I like that. I like that the Joker has, has remembered. It's the Chechen, isn't it? Who's one of the main goons? Yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. the um, yeah, uh, and so he's he's got these dogs from them, and they turn out for thirty seconds to be Batman's kryptonite uh, yeah. until he unceremoniously. I, I'm I'm going to say murders three dogs. Yeah, um, definitely murders at least one. Um. <laughs> yeah, um, and then and then. They have their showdown, which is kind of built around this game theory boat sequence, isn't it? Yeah. Which <laughs> is the part of the movie and a wider part of the kind of the trilogy that I, I've i just never bought. I don't think that at any point in the first two movies, Nolan has sold us on a Gotham City where the people on each of those two boats would make the decision that they ultimately make. I think that they would have blown the shit out of each other. <laughs> and I think it I think it would have been a more interesting ending for the movie for Batman to have been like for, for the Joker to have won that battle and then Batman to Yeah to somehow have... to somehow pull the Harvey victory out out of out of the embers and go I'm I'm still I'm still going to beat the Joker ideologically because I'm going to take the fall for all of this. Mm-hmm. There's um there's no doubt is there though that they each had the detonator to their own boat. Like that 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 much is clear, right? Like if if Probably. either of them had pressed the detonator their own boat would have blown up. Or they'd have both blown up, you know. Yeah. It, yeah. But I just like I don't I don't find it that interesting, you know, the the setup of it, the fact that it's that it's convicts and um, and like families or whatever, it's. I don't feel like we've really got to know those people during the course of the movie. We've got to know like Gotham's criminal world intimately, but what we haven't got to know is kind of the real people out on the streets. And all I do know about the the people out on the streets is that they are absolutely terrified. They're completely fearing for their life because this terrorist has taken over the city. He's just blown up a hospital and he's just killed three made or two major, like he's killed the commissioner of the police and a, a judge. He almost killed the mayor. 
I, I just I I just don't believe at that point in this movie, and I, it was compounded. I think when you get to the Dark Knight Rises and you see how quickly. <laughs> The citizens of Gotham <laughs> in the Dark Knight Rises yeah. in a time that is a lot brighter and supposedly, you know, like a lot of the problems have been fixed in that movie, that how quickly the people in that movie in that same city turn. As I had a problem with it at the time, you know, like I had a problem in 2008. So when we get to 2012 and the sequel comes out and I just went, yes, yeah, so Nolan, you never really had an idea of what the hearts and minds of the people of Gotham where they actually were. I mean, you can also argue that, like, the thing that the Joker is trying to do is turn ordinary people to murder, essentially. And, like, on both of those boats, there are people who go, like, well, okay, you you can kill these people because I'm not going to stop you. And so in that sense, like, the fact that they don't push the button doesn't make it any different. It doesn't make any difference to the choice of well, this guy says he's going to push the button, so I'm going to give it to him without fighting him. Hmm. And I and I find it a little bit cringeworthy and on the nose that, you know, like he has the big burly criminal being the guy that throws it out of the window without a second thought, whereas it's the, you know, it's the unassuming man who's like, yeah, yeah, I'll blow, I'll, I'll blow them up then, fine, I'll do it. And the only reason he doesn't do it is out of cowardice. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, he wants to kill them, but he doesn't have the balls. I just, it, like... I I I've never bought it. I don't I don't find the setup of the scene interesting, and I certainly don't buy the way that it unfolds. Um, and so when when Batman is actually having that kind of that argument with the Joker up up on the up on the top of the building, and the Joker's hanging upside down, which is such a fantastic image, and the way that the camera I was pans say, it's around, the, spin, the way the camera slowly spins around, isn't it? That really like so. So you're now looking at him the right way up, but he's swinging, and you can still tell that he's upside mm-hmm. down. It's, it's wonderful, but like it's it's in that sequence that I I listened to the Joker saying, you know, we're gonna do this time and again. You might think you've won Batman, but you haven't. Just because those two boats blow, bl- didn't blow up doesn't mean anything. And I'm kind of sat there, sat there going, yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right. I do think you're right. <laughs> I think the I think you have won Joker. I just don't think I think Batman hasn't realised it yet. Um, Seb, I don't know. Have you ever had any problems with the boat scene? I. <sighs> I don't know. I feel like you're being overly down on it. I quite enjoy it. I think, I think it's maybe one of the bits of the film that uh, was more tense the first time you see it, but when you know what happens, it loses the tension. Whereas I think there are other scenes, like the scene where Rachel dies, that are still tense, even when you know exactly what's going to happen. Mm. This doesn't really have that. I also like that it features uh, an actor from the uh, classic Nickelodeon show Renford Rejects in it, quite surprisingly. <laughs> um but no, I, I I think it's good. I think it maybe comes at the wrong point in the film. Um, what do, so do you do you buy my argument that there's nothing to support <laughs> the way that that social experiment I do, pans out? I see what you mean in that. Yeah, the film hasn't really backed that up. But equally, if the film's going to go in the direction of the people of Gotham would just do that to each other then you're looking at a superhero story where the superhero doesn't really have any good reason to save anybody. <laughs> if they're all just damned anyway, then what's Batman fighting for? What What is the Gotham that he's trying to save? The point about Gotham is that it should have ordinary people who aren't all assholes and they're being preyed on by the criminals. So... 
I, I, I think you could tell a story where the soul of Gotham has been poisoned by the Joker, and that it's the it's the sacrifice of Batman at the end that, that, that redeems it, lends lends any kind of glimmer of hope. Yeah, and 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 I think that's fine, Seb. If that's it, I think what you just said does have validity. But I think well, that the, mo- the, the movie... <laughs> That's very generous of you. <laughs> but I think, I think the movie and the franchise needed to establish that at some other point. I was, was going to say, I think, I think my problem with that sequence is that it doesn't follow naturally from what's come before. Like, this idea of normal people being turned insane, like, aside from Harvey Dent's story, like, it isn't happening on a wider scale. And, like, the Joker says, oh, I want other people to join in. But at no point does he convince anyone other than Harvey to join in. Yeah. And it's like, if that's your story and that's how you want to end it, fair enough. But it has to be threaded through the film more deliberately than it actually is. Hmm. It, As I say, it never really bothers me on a rewatch other than in that moment itself because I just go, well, yeah, I think the Joker did win and... Uh, yeah, I, 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 the fact that I don't buy that those two boats wouldn't have blown each other up, I still think philosophically, um, like you're saying, James, that that the Joker has kind of succeeded in in poisoning everyone and proving that everyone's that not not everyone's that different from him. Um, so, but unfortunately, that's kind of where you have to leave the Joker because we do and forever have to leave will, the would, Joker swinging above the tower. One of more Gotham comment City. I would make is that I feel like there is a deliberate reference to um, the the end of Batman eighty nine because they both end with Batman following the Joker up to a tall building. They have a fight. The Joker's dangling off the building, and in one of the films, the Joker plunges to his death, and in the other one, Batman pulls him up and leaves him dangling there. <laughs> uh, I, I I can't see that as coincidence. I, fe- I feel like that's them correcting Batman 89. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it's one I prefer. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, because so Batman doesn't to... kill, except when he does at the end yes. of this film. <laughs> which is kind of glossed over, but, well, I guess we'll get to it, but... Um, the fact, the fact that the fact that Batman takes the blame for some uh, for some murders, but is actually yeah. does actually <laughs> does he take the blame for the murder he yeah. actually commits? Yeah. So the Joker has succeeded in kind of getting Harvey to go out into the world and and take vengeance. Yeah, and um, he's now got his we, coin. We see Harvey in a in a car crash where he causes the Eric Roberts master presumably to regenerate into the Derek Jacobi wow. master, who will then become John Sim. No, Seb. <laughs> keep that. Keep that to another podcast. There's no. There's no room for it here. Um, I've been waiting yeah. to say that for the whole episode. <laughs> You've been waiting to say wow. that for three years. <laughs> Neither of your co-hosts have been waiting for that to happen. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah. So he, he he kind of goes in this killing spree where he is doing it. it he, he's letting chance dictate. Except it's clear that he is ultimately out to to hurt and destroy everyone who was responsible for Which Rachel's death. Sub- I, I, I like it's it's quite a two faced thing to um, act like he's leaving it to chance, but finding a way to cheat. Um, yeah, I like that. I think the only one he do- he doesn't actually kill the female cop, does he? Um, I think he just does he punch her and knock her out, maybe. Yeah. yeah, he like 
knocks her unconscious and runs off. Yeah, which I think it was the film maybe acknowledging. Yeah, <laughs> we did. We maybe we can't kill the only two named female characters in our movie. <laughs> Um, I think I think they do name Jim's wife Sarah. I'm sure she is referred to as Sarah at one point. Wow. Well, she is mostly <laughs> anonymous. No, I would right, say. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it, so it all leads to this big showdown where he's kidnapped Gordon's family, and then Gordon turns up. And I, I, I just think again, again, talking about like my, my problems with this movie all being in the kind of last ten, twenty minutes. After the Joker stuff, it it kind of feels like an anticlimax. It, 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 I know it's necessary, but with the shadow that the Joker has left over this film, to have an ending with the Joker and then go off and do the other ending, yeah, <laughs> that's not that's not as exciting, um, because it's just dent with a gun, you know, it's just dent with a gun, and he shoots Batman, but you're like, when he shoots Batman, you're like. He just shot Batman, who's in this like military grade armor in the stomach. I think he's gonna be okay. <laughs> so there's not really much tension, and I don't. I don't think that's just a, uh, you know, result of watching the film a bunch of times. I think it's. I think it's something that I felt from the very I first mean, also, time. Like, okay, also, so. I sort of did not buy that even this film was gonna have anyone shoot a child in front of their parents. <laughs> like it was just a little bit yeah, too much for me. But I guess you could have seen you could have seen him killing Gordon. But that never actually actually thinking about it, he never really flips the coin on Gordon in that last scene, does he? He goes he goes Batman himself. Yeah, he goes to do Gordon, and then the kid. I know. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so never actually gets gets Jim Gordon, and then and then yeah, for it to kind of end with just Batman tackling him off the side of the building, <laughs> and then he's dead. Yeah, yeah, and and there is there's something weird about that scene. There is a reason why. Obviously, the fact that Heath Ledger had died meant that everyone knew the Joker wasn't coming back. But for the next three or four years, as we were waiting, because Nolan went off and made Inception in between, um, so there's there was this, this you know significant gap between the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises. Everyone was like, okay, so yeah, is Harvey actually dead? Are they going to bring him back somehow? That's not all we've seen of Two Face, is it? <laughs> uh, and I and I think it's just maybe it's something about the execution of the scene that you're like, oh, did did he actually? Yeah, it's because he, actually, he doesn't he's... really get a last moment. No. Which, given that he is basically the protagonist of this movie, well, and, he and is kind because, of cheated out of that. And because the whole film was the Joker saying, like, I'm trying to make you kill me, basically, and yeah. Batman's code is against it, and then the film ends with him killing Harvey Dent, and they make no deal of it whatsoever. Mm. As I say, it's like yeah. they almost pretend that that hasn't happened, because they make this big deal out of, what does it do to Batman's reputation if everyone thinks he's killed? Well, he has. So yeah. Well, part of me wonders if, I think... like, if there was a moment or something in the script where Dent causes that to happen to himself, and mm. it ended up cut for whatever reason. Because it feels like the film doesn't make sense if, at the end of no, it, Batman I... out and out kills some guy, even if he's saving other people. No, so I think I, I think I think it has to be explicit. I think one of the and probably Batman's arc that we haven't really talked about throughout this movie is the idea that so Batman has said to Rachel at the end of the previous movie, you know, one day I won't have to be Batman and then we can be together, right? And she's gone, yeah, when you're done being Batman, I'll be waiting for you. And we know with the letter in this that that's not that's not the case, ultimately. Um, 
but the film kind of starts with Batman looking at Den and, and going, oh, is this the answer? Like, is this the hero that Gotham deserves? Is this the is this the guy who is going to is this the White Knight who's going to replace the Dark Knight? Um, it, it, and and so the whole the whole film in, in, from Batman's point of view is like is there a, is there a way that we can that you know I can defeat crime in the city and then I can remove this vigilante from the situation and let Jim Gordon and Harvey Dent be the people who you know, steward Gotham and, and that Dent is the hero. And it's weird because this, this, this movie kind of preempts Obama by a year, <laughs> but there's, there's, there's a lot of the kind of the, I believe in Harvey Dent is very, it's very reminiscent of the Obama campaign. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so I think at the end of the movie that Batman, after having that conversation with the Joker has to make this decision where he goes, the entire city is fucked if this is the Harvey Dent that is out there. If Harvey Dent is in the papers as murdering Jim Gordon's child, and like, what's the like, what's the answer? So I think it's like it's not just a he tackles him off the building and Harvey Dent happens to die. It's, it is a calculated decision from Batman. It's a sacrifice to go if Gotham is to ever survive. What's just happened? Dent needs to die and I need to take the blame. So I think he has that whole plan formulated at that moment. And I, 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 you're right, you know, yeah, Batman doesn't kill, yada, yada, yada. But I actually think for the story that Nolan's telling here and for this version of Batman, I don't really have a problem with it. And I think the reason it's glossed over is because it kind of does make sense on that level. Yeah, I just, I sort of feel like if, like, I agree with you to a point. Like, I, you know, I think it is the culmination of those themes and ideas that are explored in the rest of the film. It just feels like they should have made slightly bigger business of it mm-hmm. because it's the ending of the story and the Joker won in that sense. Well, because but, Batman but didn't then have they, to break his then, code to, to do it and like, fair enough, but, but follow it up. Then they make the business of it in that montage, don't they? Which is a montage that begins with Batman narrating a, because the people need a hero and yeah and you know yada yada and it goes on and and it seems to last for quite a while and then batman runs off and then <laughs> jim gordon's son is like why is he running daddy and it's like oh another another piece of purple prose this time from jim gordon as the montage <laughs> continues <laughs> it goes on for so long and and they and it is this i mean i guess i guess my problem then is that they tie that death to all the other deaths that Harvey committed, whereas what they should have done is said, you know, Batman killed Harvey Dent, and so he's a fugitive, and been more vague, rather than Batman killed Harvey Dent and all those other people he didn't kill. No, they need to do that, because if if, if they say that Harvey killed those people... Well, no, 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 they just leave it vague as to whether those people find out that think, Harvey killed those people. I think people would guess. It's like, well, who <laughs> killed them? Well, they they could have assumed Batman, it? but I think explicitly tying it to Batman like muddies the water. But that's the point. He's he's take, he's taking the bullet, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, yeah, I really the, don't the question the sequence of events. Like, the sacrifice for me is him. Like if he if he kills Harvey and acknowledges that he was backed into a corner and stuff, and that he had to break his code, like that's enough. 
also being like, oh yeah, and I did all that other stuff. Like, it dilutes yeah, but, that but and confuses it, it. it. It's not a sacrifice to let people think that you did something that you actually did. Well, no, it's a sacrifice it to, to a do sacrifice. something you would rather have not have done. Yeah, but that, but that's not that's not a conscious. Yeah, but that, that's my point. Like, that's yeah. that's the like that's the sacrifice. Like the deaths and stuff of Christopher Nolan again being like, well, what are the nuts and bolts of this? Like, aren't people going to have questions or I'd better answer them? I just i i like that. I like the way I like the fact that that there is a specific reason why they need Harvey not to do what he does because frankly what Harvey does is he well I mean maybe not the retired cop but you know the, the corrupt cop because he's just a corrupt cop but Harvey kills a bunch of people who kind of deserve it um and if it was just the case oh Harvey's done that but oh you've got to go after him really because he's kind of gone bad it'd be like well he's not that far removed from what Batman does <laughs> the point is is that so much hinges on Harvey not being a criminal and so when right. Harvey becomes a criminal, the only way to stop everything collapsing is for Batman to let everyone think that he's a criminal. And I like yeah, that. Yeah, but I I don't I don't question the the kind of the series of events in the plot that that Nolan presents. I, I it's just slightly the execution of Batman tackling him off the building. Yeah, no, and no, make, I agree. And that, maybe that, the scenes that's, before. that's the problem with that scene. And also <laughs> by that point things have kind of dragged. <laughs> you're, you're like, this This scene now needs to kind of be like... Yeah. And, and, oh, and Or there needed to be some way to kind of cross-cut the action between a Joker thing and a Yeah, I was about to say as well, kind of, kind, of, kind of the problem in this sequence is you're <coughs> like, well, the Joker's still out there hanging off a building. Like, when are we getting back to that? And we never do. And it's... I mean, it sets up... It sets up what I think would have been. I mean, I'm not sure Nolan was particularly interested in coming back to to tell a, another story to begin with. I certainly don't think he was interested in telling a story where the Joker wasn't around. Um, and I think if the, if this film had kind of made Batman Begins numbers rather than Dark Knight numbers at the box office, I'm not sure Nolan would have ultimately made that movie. Because I, I I mean, Seb, you could for all the things that you like about The Dark Knight Rises, I don't think there's a story there that needed to be told, personally. <laughs> it is kind um, of telling that it's a more of a sequel to Batman Begins than The Dark Knight, isn't it? It's like he went, well, where is the rest of my story? Yeah. Well, well this is what this comes back to what we said right at the start about this film is so perfectly self-contained yeah. and mm-hmm. tells a whole story that it doesn't need a sequel and and isn't really a sequel to Batman Begins. So yeah, Dark Knight Rises is going back and going, here's the sequel that, that we wanted to do to Batman Begins because Dark Knight isn't it. Dark Knight just stands... You know, there are similarities between all the Nolan Batman films and common elements, but Dark Knight just stands so separately from those and from everything yeah. else that, that we cover on this. Uh, and I think I, I think I said this back on the Batman Begins episode, but... For a long time, I I was one of those people that said that that Batman Begins is a better movie than The Dark Knight, <laughs> and it's because it is a kind of a more a more complete movie start to finish and a more even movie, uh, because basically because I don't buy the last ten twenty minutes of The Dark Knight. Um, having said that, the rest is so good. I, I you know I'm wrong. This this I, I was wrong. This this is. I think you, this is infinitely better. I than think Batman you Begins. could possibly argue that Batman Begins is a better Batman movie. 
like taking <laughs> taking Batman and Batman's character and history into consideration. Batman Begins is is a better movie that's about Batman. Dark Knight is a better movie that has Batman in it. I mean, I mm. like just to complete the range of opinions there. Like, I outright <laughs> can't stand Batman Begins, and to a yes, large extent, we remember. The Dark Rises, The Dark Knight Rises. But I think this is easily the best Batman film. Like, it's been a long time since I watched this, and so I think I was maybe unsure as to whether it was Dark Knight, uh, Batman Returns, or this. But I, you know, having watched them both recently now, I think it's definitely this is my favorite. I just yeah, I just had such a great time revisiting it. I think it 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 was one of those that I, I think probably in the couple of years that followed it, it was it was such a cultural monolith that it's it's it was a little bit like um, maybe the first person in in history to compare these two films reminded me a little bit of Frozen in that <laughs> I remember going to see Frozen at a press screening and going. Oh, that was fantastic! What a what a great Disney princess story. It did something a little bit different um, with the the kind of the love interests and yeah, the songs were great. It was charming. Really liked it. Couldn't speak highly enough of Frozen. I mean, like two or three years later, where you just heard every teenager, <laughs> teen, every, every little toddler running around screaming, "Let it go!" You're like. <sighs> okay, Frozen. That's, I can't imagine how I would ever watch that movie that's again. That's a bit like I. I went to see Hamilton at the weekend, having not listened to it, like deliberately not listened to it, because I was like, well, I've got tickets, mm. I'm going to go and see it. And I came out and I was like, hey, that was really good. I, I understand now why everyone's talking about it. Yeah, but the, I mean, the the Dark night. the problem was that not only was it kind of like everywhere for years, it, it kind of, it like I said, it did spawn kind of like, you know, those Nolan bros on the internet who <laughs> I think have grown into being the DCEU bros. <laughs> well, I mean, when and... they were on top, they were bad winners and they're now they're really bad losers. But, you know, it also it also spawned that kind of that section of the fandom that like, oh, it's not a superhero movie unless you treat it really seriously. <sighs> Which, as you mentioned, Seb, kind of ignores a load of the kind of like <laughs> silly comic book stuff that's still in this movie. I mean, look at the Joker. Look at him. <laughs> Like he's still, it's still a guy walking yeah. around with that hair and makeup, being a criminal mastermind. Like, now imagine that. Oh, well, I was going to say imagine that in real life, and <laughs> well, the Dark Knight Rises, sadly, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think there there was there was stuff in the in the years afterwards that made this a diff, a, a more difficult film to just go back and watch. I think we're now far enough removed that you can watch it without all of that hoopla around it, and it's just a. It's just a fantastic. It's movie. been ten years. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. They didn't insane. even have iPhone sixes back then. <laughs> and who would have thought when we started this podcast that it would take us three years to get to it? <laughs> just been saving it in our back pocket. <laughs> just wait. Most the highest downloaded episode ever. There'll be six of you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we'll move on uh, to the comic book recommendations now. And th- this is, is going to work slightly differently because as I tease at the start of the podcast, we are actually going to be changing up the format of the minisodes. Uh, just time constraints that, that I didn't have three years ago when we started this podcast mean that it is very difficult for me to turn around within a week reading the comics and making the uh, minisodes as I used to when I was in a different I job. I mean, just... just now that you've got the allotment, it would be a shame to ignore it. <laughs> oh, I wish it were that simple. Um, 
so yeah, I, I'm kind of getting to the point in my life that Seven James were a couple of years ago where that we like have actual responsibilities. You're going to make but... everyone think that your wife's pregnant now. <laughs> no, oh god, no. <laughs> Maybe I should have strung people along on that for a while. That would have been fun. Um, <laughs> we'll not let her hear your no. hear your rapid denial of that. Yeah, no, I'm just uh, I'm just uh, I'm just a very busy boy these days, and uh, I, I I can't quite find the time to do all of it. So what we are going to do is we're going to change up the format of the mini shows. Instead of me talking about um, about the news and the comics that we've read. Uh, on the mini sides, what we will do is now it will be all three of us. We're we're, we're all going to get together. We're going to chat about um, the news uh, that has broken in in that week. Um, if I have had a chance to read the recommendations, which sometimes I will, because uh, I you know sometimes I'm just interested and I will have a bit of time and be able to read them. Maybe we'll be able to bring in a, a brief mention and discussion of those on the mini side as well. Um, but we didn't want to get rid of the recommendations wholesale from the podcast because we know that there's listeners out there that like to hear them and i think it's still interesting for context you know like what are the comics that kind of helped make this movie um but one of the restrictions that we're now able to remove given that i'm not reading them is it doesn't have to be something that seven james haven't recommended before and Which given this, this movie in particular <laughs> yeah it would be it, you would have had to have talked around like the only reason i'm not recommending the long halloween seb <laughs> is because you recommended it on the previous podcast yeah. so tell the listeners why the long halloween and presumably a couple of other comics are your recommendations yeah this week. i mean it's uh, it's not the long halloween's not the only thing that goes into this and there's a lot in the long halloween that isn't in this but essentially the long halloween uh if you don't know it's by jeff loeb and tim sale it comes from the late 90s i think it's about 98 it is essentially a sequel to batman year one it's an exploration of some of the the early days of the batman it kind of takes place over the course of a year um and a lot of the stuff uh about the joker and two-face and also more specifically kind of a lot of the mob stuff as well uh like sal maroney is a character in it and that kind of thing um direct plot is not really at all in there um but a lot of the feel you know if you i'm sure when they were making this film they they talked in interviews and stuff that that was a comic that they were really looking back to um also if you haven't read it somehow then batman year one is worth doing as well partly because it's fantastic uh but also you know the elements of that that aren't the batman origin stuff but that are more the batman early years stuff um the, the the Jim Gordon Harvey Dent Batman triangle. I I'm pretty sure that Year One is the place where that was really established. I talked um you know I've talked before that I don't think um the comics had really explored much of pre Two Face Harvey. Um I I certainly don't think they really did it prior to Year One. Um and that that kind of White Knight crusading lawyer version of Harvey Dent. Um, you know, it had certainly been referred to or flashed back to as a thing, but um, I think a lot of what goes into him in this film comes from Frank Miller's version there. So they 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 definitely make a nice good, despite the fact that they're published over ten years apart and by different creative teams. Um, Jeff Loeb does a very good job of making Long Halloween follow on from uh, from Year One, and then if you want more Joker, um, because he's a little peripheral to Long Halloween, you could always read Dark Victory which is the sequel uh, to Long Halloween. Um, but they're both 12 issues long, so we're talking a lot of comics. Fortunately, Joe, you don't have to go and read them now, and you've already read them. 
Yeah, I haven't. Well, I haven't read Darvid's well, but I have read, read Long Halloween and Year One, and um, mm. I think uh, I think I'd probably prefer Long Halloween, um, but I think I preferred like individual. I loved like certain individual moments from Year One. So, uh, but I would, yeah, I would say anyone who hasn't read them definitely go out and give both of those a go. Uh, okay, so we would normally move on to our final section, the pitch. Uh, but what we've decided to do is move the pitch to our mini-sode. So we're going to reconvene next week when we're discussing the news and do the pitch. Um, but what we are going to do is let you know what the pitch is. And so then if listeners, you if you're listening to this and go, oh, I've got a fantastic idea for the pitch, but normally Seven James answer it and then it's done and gone forever... You can like email us or tweet us or on Facebook send us a message with what you would pitch, and if we get a really good one, I will put it up or, against or, Seven or James's. If we get one. <laughs> yes, or if we get or if we get one, we will put it up against uh, Seven James's one. That's great. On the Even more opportunities for me to lose. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so this week, um, what I thought I would do for the pitch is ask you guys. If Christopher Nolan had been able to use the Joker in the third movie in his Dark Knight trilogy, what would the plot of that movie be? So basically, I want me to pitch, I want you to pitch me your sequel to the Dark Knight that is actually able to feature the Joker. Um, and I can only imagine that you're all going to pitch me movies that are better than the Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> uh, so that's the pitch. We'll get to that next week. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's that's our new format. Uh, is there anything I've missed, guys? Anything else that the listeners need to know? Uh, have you got a Patreon update, James? I do I have a Patreon update. Backer. We have. Ooh. We have two new backers. Okay. Uh, this is coming from like what, as far back as December. <laughs> um, we have a new backer with the catchy name of C G. And yeah pronounce that I, I imagine it's pronounced how it's spelled um and another backer called anthony so thanks to both of those guys for lining our pockets um as usual we're running the monthly competition uh, and part of some of the money people donate goes into buying some cool prizes for that also i'm moving house so i'm hoping to clear out a lot of crap um so if you like unopened action figures that i bought when they were cheap thinking Ooh, maybe that'll be nice to hang on to and have now decided I don't want clogging up my life. Uh, it'll be a good time to pick up some of that stuff. And we, we should have and some we... Patreon bonus content coming soon. Obviously, we, if you haven't, if you're a Patreon backer and you haven't listened to it, or if you're not a Patreon backer and this would tempt you, uh, we did about 20 minutes or so um, just after Christmas of me and James talking about um, our favourite <laughs> comics of last year. It's largely just talking about why we didn't like any comics last year. That's how I yeah, and then, but... and, and then I uh, shortly after we recorded that, I got annoyed on Twitter at that Vice article saying there were no good comics last year. And actually, there were loads of good comics last year. It's just we found it in a lot of the comics that were good were comics that were already good, and we found it interesting to talk about Marvel and DC for a little while, and but also about how good Giant Days is. Um, and yeah, so I think we... we should just just before we move on past Patreon as well. I, I think we should point Patreon. out to. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but for any of our listeners who uh, kind of, uh, you know, maybe a bit new, I think we've have we been running our Patreon for about two years now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we basically, I, I don't think we've ever taken any money out of it personally. We we just literally use it to fund the podcast. Yeah. It funds hosting the podcast, hosting the website. Um, it, 
you know, any equipment that we need to do the podcast, occasionally a, a train ticket to get us all into the same city. <laughs> but yeah, so we're not we're not pilfering this money and kind of like spending it on sweeties. Um some of it goes. No, I mean, one day, one day we're going to have to do something. Competitions. One day we're going to have to do something properly cool with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but as I said, should, can we do Joker style? Get a warehouse, stack it up, and burn it. <laughs> oh, that was going to be my cool story from when I was. I'm going to do it now. When I was in Chicago, <laughs> I went on a tour of the Lagunitas uh, beer brewery, uh, which is uh, yeah, like a craft a craft beer brewery um, in Chicago, and. Um, it's in this big warehouse, and they moved into the warehouse about four or five years ago. It had previously been owned by a small production company who had rented it out to the Dark Knight to film the burning of the money scene in there. Nice. So that that was really cool. <laughs> That's my story. Uh, Seb, what were you going to say about two minutes ago before I interrupted you? Uh, just that, yeah, so the, the comics reviews were an example of... Uh, exclusive content so if you don't back us already and you fancy hearing that um you can go and chuck us if you if you do us at least the, t- the two dollars a month tier then you get to hear bonus episodes um we hit a target that means that james owes an episode um about ranking mcu films but um with james kind of moving and stuff um or getting ready to move he's not had a chance to do that we we hit and then dropped back below uh, the target for me to do an episode about DC's continuity resets, explaining all of them. I'm quite keen to do that. So even though we dropped back below it, I am going to go ahead and do that. But it might come out before James's one. But you will get James's one as well. Um, but yeah, so have a look on there because then we we we've got some other stuff. We need we need to make up some new promises for bonus episodes that we'll do if we hit certain targets. And those episodes um, are exclusive to Patreon backers. There's a special. Can theme. we change? Um, can we change the one that I'm currently scheduled <laughs> in to do when we hit that target? I can't even I remember what it was. I think I think we picked it for you because you hadn't suggested one. So yeah, yeah. Well, we that might have changed by the time this episode comes out. Whatever it is at the moment. Okay. <laughs> I'll try and think of something. <laughs> or listeners, or Patreon subscribers, let us know if there's something specifically that you're like, oh, it'd be cool if you did that. Yeah. Send we are, some, we're send to, we're totally open to suggestion, uh, especially if you are already a backer, which means you can comment on the the blog posts that we do on there and stuff occasionally. Which is mostly just James Ooh. doing the competition. But yeah, and one separate point on uh, like money and donations. It's 2018, and Marvel we haven't received the check yet. So Black yeah, Panther's coming in on, on our reaction to to Black Panther. Yeah, yeah, we'll need that pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, well, I think that brings this epic podcast to an end, but we really, we we couldn't skimp on the Dark Knight, could we? Um, if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. Support us on Patreon. Uh, the link there is patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. And we don't we don't really do this, and most podcasts do, but um, like if you uh, subscribe to us particularly on iTunes and you haven't left us a rating or a review, they really do help in terms of discovery. So... Rate, um, review, subscribe. Exactly. Yeah, and also, if you'd <laughs> like to buy a mattress, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't have any codes or anything, but if you want to buy a mattress, come, like I can maybe sell you one. Like I don't know why that seems to be a thing podcasts do. <laughs> we've got stumps.com, we've got um, UNDs. Yeah, I mean... Got definitely all, when, definitely when, don't use Squarespace, because I had to do that for work, and it's shit. Yeah, so did I. I can I tell you now, fuck, fuck Squarespace. Um, if you, you will not hear that on any other podcast. We're not sponsored by Cornerstone, but if you want me to send you some razor blades in the post, I'll I'll happily do that. And I'll, I'll I'll engrave you a little razor if you like. 
Right, this needs to end. You can find more episodes of Cinematic Universe at cinematicuniverse.com. Uh, you can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter, at cine underscore verse, or send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you, we'll all see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Look at her. She's it, Abe. She's it. She's my whole wide, you know? I would give my life for her. But she also wants me to do the dishes. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Hellboy 2 The Golden Army.